If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Exactly what the song being sung by Sly and the Family Stone is talking about. That's why you got to stand up. Stand up to the horde. Stand up to those that just parrot what everybody else is saying. Oh, yeah. Got to say to yourself, yo, James Golden, if you're listening out there. Earth, Wind, and Fire has nothing on Sly and the Family Stone. So good. So good. And it's emblematic, almost symptomatic of everything we're going to talk about 
in the wee hours of the morning through the rain, the fog, the overcast nature of what we're feeling here in the tri-state area. There's a coolness out there. You feel it right to the marrow of your bone. But remember, once the sun goes down, the powerful 50,000 powerful watts of sound pulsate out into 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker. And then, remember, you have the advantages of technology. I believe uh, this week is the anniversary of the invention of the telephone by Alexander Graham Bell. But we're not talking a telephone here to talk. We're talking about a telephone to uh, get your app. So when you have your smartphone, your iPhone, you can listen right on your cell phone. Crystal clear, better than your terrestrial radio. I know, I grew up with the terrestrial old-fashioned radio. Whether it was in the shape of a lunchbox or it was super small, the mini radio they used to hide under the pillow, the Sony transistor radio. So that your parents wouldn't cold bust you listening into the wee hours of the morning, right? That's why you got to stand for radio. Stand! And you can tell the difference between those that do radio exclusively and those that do television. And let's face it, do radio as a side hustle. If given the opportunity, you've heard Sid Rosenberg in the morning say that, gee, if some network called him up and said, we're going to give you FaceTime, man, he dropped this like a hot rock and run. No, no, sorry, Sid, sorry. This ain't TV. This is the real deal. This is the most intimate form of communication that has ever been created. I'm talking to all of you, some of you listening in distant continents, Based on the technology as I described, it's not the technology of Alexander Graham Bell. Sure, he created the telephone, but I'm talking the iPhone. I'm talking the smartphone and the app you can download. Hear this signal anywhere in the world. I don't know if it could be heard in Antarctica with the walruses and the penguins, but who knows? Maybe one day we'll test it out, but oh boy. The stream that you can hear on your laptop computer or your worktop computer. Look at all the different ways you get to listen to this thing of ours. But I got beef. Oh, yeah, I got beef here, Bill uh, Bill Lee, Broadway Billy, on loan from WCBS-FM, where during the week he's side-by-side with Joe Causey. Still, believe it or not, sitting shiver because uh, Scott Shannon has retired. I mean, when are you going to get over this? Come on, Bill Lee, that's why you come over here to get active-minded AM on the 50,000 powerful watts of sound as opposed to our sister station. Yeah, we conflate with our FM station, WLIR, that goes out to the east end of Long Island. And remember, you know what FM stands for. Feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, freaking morons. And that leads us right into Frank Morano. Oh, yeah. So many different ways to listen to this. But, oh, boy, do I have beef. And I want to break people's teeth. Now, Avery, uh, 
Our nighttime producer who is working laboriously away to come up with the funniest hour on all of radio. That's when we bisect and dissect Frank Morano 4 to 5 in the morning, Sunday morning. Because remember, I get to do this twice. It's so nice. This Saturday, right, from 12 midnight to 6 to the break of dawn. And then I come back, I mean, twice as hard, Sunday, 12 to 6. Except they're taking an hour away from me. You know why? Because it's the start of daylight savings time. So how come they're not taking it away from the Rev and the Rabbi, right? Just tell them, hey, go preach on Sunday, right? Get into your bully pulpit, Rev. Reverend Abe Barnard out there in Canarsie, the mega church on Flatlands Avenue and Pennsylvania Avenue. Hey, Rabbi Joe Potasnik, hey, hey, go talk in a shul. Join a minion. They're taking my hour. So that means I only do five instead of six. I don't like this at all, ladies and gentlemen. I see the walls closing in on me. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222 because this is interactive. This is a conversation between me and you and heard by all our audience globally. We're not talking a local show. We're not talking regional. We're not talking national. We're talking global. I don't. I don't interview guests. I'm sorry. Man, later for that. Guess uh, I go to sleep every time I hear a guess. I can predict, all right? I can be like Karnak the Magnificent with the old Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon. Put the envelope up to my head and know exactly what the guest is going to say. Nothing new. I never learn anything from guests. All I know is they're super protective because they don't want to reveal what they really know because they're very practiced at being deceptive. And using verbal technology, which, remember, you, the caller, in many instances, this is not what you do for a living. So you let it all fly, and that's the way we prefer it. How the hell do they end up taking an hour away from me? Broadway, Bill Lee, this is an insult. This is disgraziat. This is a shanda. I mean, think about it. All the other people they could have taken an hour away from, but they take it away from me because they say, oh, well, the start of daylight savings time actually kicks in at 2 a.m. in the morning. So it goes 2 a.m. to 4. Well, guess what? We're not eliminating the funniest hour in all of talk radio in radio period when Avery eviscerates that mameluke, Frank Morano, who, listening to him this past week, boy, was he taking shots at me. Oh, He's developing a pair, right? He's got some uh, hubris there, some chutzpah. Taking shots at yours truly, Curtis Sleeper. I remember when he was just an intern. An intern from, uh, what was that, NYU, right? His poor parents, Carmine, and his mother working two jobs to make ends meet. So this guy could graduate a violet. Who the hell would want to be called a violet? Come over to WABC and intern and then have to climb the ladder. No respect. No respect. And then the other guy that I developed, Andrew Giuliani, remember his father came to me, Rudy Giuliani, and said, hey, I need you to do a solid. My son, he's entering the race for governor of the state of New York. It's a very heated primary. At that time, it was Rob Astorino from Westchester, Congressman Lee Zeldin from uh, Shirley in Suffolk, Later on, uh, Wilson was to jump in, but at that point, it was only three. I want you to uh, protect my son. 
Uh, you gotta, you gotta have his back like you had my back in 1988 when I ran against Dinkins and lost. And then I came back so nice, did it twice and just barely won in 1992. I said, you got it, Rudy. And you remember, Broadway Billy, I was out there with Andrew Giuliani. I was showing him the ropes, right? I was making sure he didn't fall into the abyss. And now all of a sudden he's part of this cabal that's taking away time from me on Sunday afternoons. You've heard the new lineup. Laura Curran, the former Nassau County executive, who uh, is doing four to five on Sundays now, followed by Ernie Anastas and his partner, five to six. And then, you know, uh, Andrew Giuliani is supposed to be doing three to four, but they got me on hold because they said, oh, he's too busy, you know, playing on the professional golf tour. Four? You know, he's down there, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, sort of like uh, side-by-side with uh, Donald Trump there. Four! Hooking right. Shanking right. Never slicing left. And working on his golf game instead of working on this thing of ours that is so much more important than golf. A game that I hate, I loathe, I despise along with tennis. Oh, God. Imagine, he's going to be playing golf on this Sunday, then golf the next Sunday. Maybe he'll get around to actually coming into the studio and doing the program. And then there are some out there who go, oh, give me a comrade I want to do my program from my home. Oh, poor little boys and girls. You can't come into the studio. Is this too tough a job? This is not work. Oh, well, you know, I got other things going on in my life. Really? Well, maybe that should be the priority. Get the hell out of here. Kick him right to the street. I don't I don't tolerate that nonsense. I'm old school. You got a radio program to do. You get your ass in here in the studio, and you do it from here, because nothing is better than a radio show done in the studio. Not in a mansion, not at a bunker, not at the Alamo. No, no, not in a... What? What was that? How dare you? Oh, wait a second. Uh, I'm sorry, Greta. I didn't want to get you angry there in Sweden. You know, I have guardian angels in Gothenburg. I don't want to get you angry there, Greta. She just got arrested in Norway, an act of civil disobedience by the squareheads as she was protesting against the growing menace of global warming and climate change. What well, had that woman? In a, well, she is a woman now. She's not a young girl anymore. And she gets turned into a pincushion wherever she goes. People, they, they hate, they love to hate her. Hate her, hate, hate, hate. How dare you? That's right. You tell them all, Greta. How you, dare you? That's right, Andrew Giuliani. Get off the tee. How dare you? Stop shooting golf out and get your ass here in the studio. And the rest of you out there, oh, I'll mail it in for an hour on the weekends. Oh, yeah, Really? Really? I'll come in and I'll do it the whole damn weekend. You know me. I can do it. Look, I've done 38 straight hours, and I'm more than happy to do it again. I can't believe this. It's gold bricks, slackers, and deadbeats, ladies and gentlemen. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And poor Diego. Diego, our board operator, uh, his native country, Mexico, he fled back to Calexico. Because of all the war chants, the war cries, and, of course, Generalissimo Lindsey Graham, 
Boy, wouldn't he make a great character? I could just see him on the Senate floor dressed in drag with George Santos dressed in drag in the House floor. I mean, they're like two peas in a pot, a soup in a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. Can I say horse in a carriage or will it offend my wife Nancy, right? But Lindsey Graham, who is the most unmanly guy I've ever seen in the United States Senate, is always flexing. You know, like he's got his shorts, he's got testosterone. I want to go to war against Iraq. I want to go to war against Iran. I want to go to war against Libya. I want to go to war against Syria. And now, he wants to go to war against Mexico. And poor Diego, board operator for uh, Rudy Giuliani, my kumbada who was away earlier on Friday. In fact, I had a substitute, and boy, I did a whole hour on Mexico. A lot of people out there, they didn't like what I had to say, right? Hey, you know, you know why all the drugs are coming into America? Because we have an insatiable appetite for illegal drugs and legal drugs more so than any other nation in the world. And notice how often we've been moaning and groaning. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010, 2020. 70 years, and we're always blaming other countries for the drug addiction that Americans have because we love drugs. So blame Mexico, blame Colombia, blame them all. Blame China, blame, just blame, blame, blame. Blame Afghanistan, blame Kathmandu, Nepal, you name it, blame them all. Never look internally and say, you know, maybe uh, maybe the devil in the belly of the beast is us, we, ourselves. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Diego has fled back across the border into Calexico. He's looking for Pancho Villa and his troops as they are going to try to thwart the invasion that Lindsey Graham so desperately wants. Along with Senator Kennedy in uh, Louisiana, oh, they so want a war. Right? They have the quinella of the uh, axis of evil now. First, it's Red China, okay? Uh, that was just a balloon. Then it's Russia, right? Uh, Zelensky can handle that, all right, with a lot of our money and a lot of our material support. And then, of course, there's uh, the evil seed of Kim Jong, mentally ill behind the kimchi curtain of North Korea. They're always part of an axis of evil. And then, of course, the Ayatollahs in Iran that supposedly made peace with the killers in Saudi Arabia from the House of Fraud due to the Red Chinese sitting them down and uh, earning a Nobel Peace Prize, if it actually turns out, not. And, of course, now the Quinella, the axis of evil, Mexico, the narco-terrorist. We always got to have a heel. We always got to have an enemy. And we always need to go to war. Because Lindsey Graham has lost his warmongering partners. Remember him? John McCain, remember? Senator Joe Lieberman always sounded like he was constipated. Oh, we didn't know a place that we didn't want to start a war in. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. There's a midget standing tall. Side of Midnight, 77 WABC. Oofa! It's another Side of Midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. It's a human song. When things are 
All they do is complain, complain, kvetch, kvetch, bitch, bitch. Until you heard James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, doing on Friday, 4 to 5, Monday through Fridays, and then in just a few hours, the big three-hour extravaganza from 7 to 10. Oh, but kvetch, kvetch. Where's the other Kvel when he mentions my name? No, no, no. Complaints, complaints, complaints. Because they all feel that I do too many hours here at WABC because the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. So I notice they've all joined together in a cabal. First, it was Frank Morano, the Mamalu, who said straight up to management and ownership, what does he get to do so many hours? We have other persons that could do this program. And he submitted a list of 75 Norderwells rejects, people who have worked here before at WABC, crashed and burned or had to be fired. And this guy wanted to dunk and yo-yo them back into this broadcast booth over my dead body. I said, Frank I'll do everything. Frank is a pathetic excuse for a man. You are. No doubt about that. But topping you at this point, is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdy. Listen to him on Friday. Just kvetch, kvetch, complain, complain, bitch, bitch, moan, and groan. Curtis still there? No, Curtis left. Oh, he left. He's going to be doing, like, probably, he'll probably end up on doing overnights, and then the overnight overnight, and then he'll probably do the morning show, and then he'll probably do my show, and then he'll do Larry Kudlow's show tomorrow, and then he'll do another show, and then he'll do his own show. Yeah, Curtis is, Curtis is all over the place. Oh, I'm all over the place, huh, pal? Huh? I'm all over the place, huh? What are you trying to say? I have attention deficit disorder. I'm bouncing off the walls. Could I hear? Could I hear clutching again? Could I hear complaining again? Moaning and groaning, belly aching. James Golden, A.K.A. Bo Snurdy, and he's not alone. There are a whole bunch of others here who, it, behind my back. I say exactly what James said in the 4 o'clock hour on Friday. Curtis still there? No, Curtis left. Oh, he left. He's going to be doing like probably, he'll probably end up on doing overnights and then the overnight overnight. And then he'll probably do the morning show. And then he'll probably do my show. And then he'll do Larry Kudlow's show tomorrow. And then he'll do another show. And then he'll do his own show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Curtis, is, Curtis is all over the place. You're damn right if I could, I would. I would take every moment, every minute, every hour of their programs, and I wouldn't give it back once I did it. Remember, I set the all-time record 38 straight hours of just talking, talking like a male yente. They had to drag me out of the studio. I did not want to see back the microphone under no circumstance. So first, this cabal started with Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. Now... It's infected James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. But I hear others snickering behind my back. Hey, give me one of those hours. Look at Andrew Giuliani. Four? All he'd rather do is play golf with Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago, huh? Well, you're going to get your butt back here and do the three to four hours on Sunday that you said you would. And then, of course, there's Laura Courage. She just copped my four to five. And then there's Ernie Anastas. Now, how can you be mad at Ernie Anastas? Well, watch. I can be mad at Ernie Anastas. He copped another hour from me. Slowly but surely. Like Pac-Men and Pac-Woman. The war cry is he does too many hours. WABC always broadcasting. Curtis, we got to encroach on that. Whoa. We'll draw the national line. 
no doubt about that. And look, then, then look, my son, my son Anthony works here as an intern. He loves to work behind the scenes. He does editing on his laptop computer. But now he's learned to play the bagpipes. He thinks he's Irish, 100% Irish. He speaks Gaelic and he wears kilts. He went with me and the Guardian Angels to last, oh yeah, last Saturday, St. Patrick's Day Parade, which kicked off the season of the 9,852 St. Patrick's Day Parades that take place in the tri-state area in the month of March. And he was leading our effort with bagpipes, playing bagpipes, wearing kilts, and speaking Gaelic and saying to everybody he's 100% Irish. He doesn't have a drop of Irish blood in him. And then on Sunday, round two of the St. Patrick's Day Parade schedule, I and the Guardian Angels, and of course led by Anthony, my oldest son, with the bagpipes to kilt, speaking Gaelic. We'll walk down East Tremont Road starting from Lafayette Avenue. We're meeting there at 1030. Come on out. The parade starts at 12 noon. Rain, snow, sleet, or shine. Yeah. Yeah, from the Rockaways to the neck, Throg's neck. Where the hell did he learn Gaelic from? Maybe his stepfather, David Patterson, right? Was he black Irish? I don't know, right? There is that term. What the hell does black Irish mean out there? All of you spudheads, or can I call them spudheads? Mix, whatever. Oh, they're going to get me thrown off and claim that I'm, I'm racist here in the FCC and make complaints? What does black Irish mean? Because if so, that's what David Patterson is. My husband-in-law, who happens to be the stepfather of my oldest son, Anthony, who's now talking Gaelic, and I'm not talking speaking in tongues, playing the bagpipe, like he all of a sudden was uh, in the NYPD drum, fife, bugle, and uh, bagpipe uh, uh, parade. I don't know where he got this from. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then uh, we have to sit shiver. I heard uh, Bob Brown, our senior news uh, news uh, person, talk about former major leaguer Jesus Alou, who has died in 80, the youngest of the Alou brothers, Matty and Philippe. He played for the Mets in 1975. I'll never forget when I had his Topps baseball card, and I looked at it, and I said, you can't have the name Jesus. You remember first, when you first saw his name? And then they told you, no, that's Jesus. I said, no, it's not. It's spelled Jesus. A human being cannot have the name Jesus. And what I did is I got my top baseball card. Remember, he was the youngest of the three Alou brothers, Maddie and Philippe. And I crossed off Jesus. I crossed it off with a big pen. I said, you can't call yourself Jesus. So I called him J. Alou. And people looked at me and said, you ruined the card. You ruined the card. It, it's lost all of its worth. I said, yeah. But there's Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, JMJ, at the top of the stationery. You know, you make the margin on the side, and then you do your composition. But no human being can ever call themselves Jesus. No, in Spanish, you'd say Zeus. Same thing. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. side of midnight now to the bernard mcgurk studios of 77 wabc here's curtis lewa 
Never forget watching Houdini, the rap group, try out their raps on the Staten Island Ferry going back and forth for the delight of tourists and the local yokels. Yeah, free show, free show. They never let you down. They always had good raps, raps you could understand, raps that did not have language that was, well... A triple X rated that you wouldn't want your kids to hear. Always had a nice groove. Always had a nice beat. It was good stuff. And I thought I had a friend in Staten Island, right? Frank Morano, that mama Luke. And I find out today that my very dear friend, Richard Bay, was in town. He's retired down in Florida. And what do you think, Avery? Do you think that Frank Morano alerted me that Richard Bay wanted me to come to breakfast with Frank? No, 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 no. He never told me. All of a sudden, late in the day, I get a text from Richard Bates. Well, where were you? How come you weren't there, man? I wanted to catch up with you because we had a lot to catch up with. Remember Richard Bay of Nine Broadcast Plaza? He was on like twice a day, the Superstation WWOR Channel 9. He blew it up all across the nation. And then remember, he was here on WABC, partnered up with Steve Malsberg for the first year. It was, it was good. It was copacetic. And then the next year, it was like ammonia and bleach. It did not work out. But anyway, he wanted to have a sit down with me. And he used Frank Morano as the messenger who decided he wanted to hog up all of Richard Bay's time. And then I got the text. Where were you? Curtis, I... Well, how come you didn't come to have breakfast? What was I to do? Rat out Frank and let him know that that guy never even told me that Richard Bay was in town? Well, what do you think, Avery? I mean, come on, man. This is so typical of him. You know, he, I would have told on him, man. I know, but I felt, hey, Richard Bay was already not feeling good that I didn't make it, feeling like maybe I dissed him and dismissed him. But it's all because Frank didn't want me there sitting there. It feels like a Frank move. Yeah. It feels, it feels very Frankish. <laughs> very Frankish. It's very frankly of him. Yes. You are so right. Oh, my God. You are so absolutely right. He just wanted to hog the conversation, sit there with Richard Bay. And then in the middle of his conversation with Richard Bay, you know, he's texting me like, where are you, Curtis? Please save me from this man. It's yeah. sort of like. He keeps talking about Captain Kirk. You know, that's all he wants to talk about, Captain Kirk. Help me, save me. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you grew up with Richard Bay? At one point, he was the bomb on WWOR-TV, Channel 9, Secaucus, the Superstation, on at 10 in the morning. Remember 9 Broadcast Plaza? And then so nice they did it twice at 4 in the afternoon. Listen to the promo that used to run ad nauseum. Richard Bay. Whoop, there it is. Now you can catch two times the talk. Do you want revenge? And two times the fun. Five days a week. The reason becomes clear.
Claire. The Richard Bay Show. I'm proud of it. Weekdays at 11 and now afternoons at 4. It's a hot swing of place. So for two times the bay, two times a day, watch The Richard Bay Show. Now at 11 and 4, beginning Monday on Channel 9. And see, I was off by an hour. 11 and 4. But you know something? He was good. He was on his game. I mean, he was really good. Like, I'll give you an example. Stuff he would just whip out of nothing. Uh, you know, it wasn't like whip it out Tuesday or Thursday. None of that. Who are those two uh, jerky boys that used to do that in the mornings here on radio? I forget their name. Anthony and uh, whatever the hell his name is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what were, what were their names again? one 800 jerks. Anyway, uh, it was a classic Richard Bay segment on Nine Broadcast Plaza. In this segment, we are going to have these ladies run a marathon. We want to determine which one of these looks is more long-lasting, and certainly a marathon determines who has uh, the most stamina, which look will last the longest, because they will be able to run the fastest around the building. That's one of the reasons we're doing this. Another reason is to prove which of our ladies really are physically fit. Are the, are the women who are more fuller figured and perhaps have more muscle tissue more physically fit than those who are perhaps lighter, have less body fat, but perhaps can move faster because they're carrying less weight. And the third reason we're having this marathon is because We've already talked this silly topic to death, and we have to fill up a segment somehow. So anyway, ladies, I'm going to ask you to stretch out those leg muscles with me as you prepare for the major marathon between voluptuous vixens and our fragile waifs. Ready, ladies? Stretch them out, because when I say ready, set, go, you will run out these doors, out into the parking lot, around the studio building, coming in through the other side, back here for the finish and this will determine which look is more long-lasting and has more stamina and is stronger ready set go all right oh so good and if you'd ever been out to the studios in secaucus of the old channel nine when it was a super station like wgn was in chicago you knew it was not a very large parking lot and in fact, if you made the wrong turn, you'd be out there in the Meadowlands swimming in some toxic waste with a pelican probably picking at your ear with some seagulls. Oh, that was such a good show. I, I, I miss not seeing Richard Bay. And it's all because Frank Morano wanted to hug the conversation. Let's go to Bill in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. Hey, Curtis. How you doing, man? Uh, I have, Listen, I've had better days. I miss Richard Bay because of Frank Morano, that Mama Luke. Uh, I want to talk to you about the uh, Black Irish. That term uh, refers to the uh, people of the West of Ireland. Uh, black hair. So that's what it is. Um, basically, they're upper Paleolithic survivors. They're you know hunter gatherers from uh, the Ice Age, and that's the uh, remnant of the population. So if I were to show you a picture of uh, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, Euro Asiatic uh, black men, they would not be called black Irish, right? Uh, they have very, very uh, pale skin, uh, completely drained of melanin. They're the people that when you go to the beach, they're under the uh, the umbrellas. Ah, fearful. They're, they're the kids that used to bully you when you were a kid. 
which is why you have your bad attitude toward the Irish now. Yeah, boy, do I, don't I? I mean, it's how, yeah, it's the problem I have with the Irish bill. I have a conversation. I went I went to high school with a lot of Irish guys from uh, uh, the Rockaways, the Irish Riviera, out there. Uh, I mean, from uh, where, where Bell Harbor is now, where Sid Rosenberg lives, and the ponds are, out to Breezy Point. And they would, we'd have a conversation, and everything was settled. And then three months later, out of nowhere, Bill, I don't know where they found it. Uh, a look in their eyes came over. Remember what you said three months ago? And they want to fight. And they hadn't even been drinking yet. And I'm saying, what are you talking about? That was three months ago. That was squashed. We settled it. It's like a cloud of depression hangs over their head. What do you think is the reason for that, Bill? Uh, because they can fight good which is why you got bullied when you were a kid. You wouldn't have a chance. I've seen you, Curtis. You're not a small man, but uh, got Irish guys, you don't have a chance against them, man. They got tough bones. They're, they're strong. Well, also they, well, they also, they like to take a beating. They like to have their nose busted. They like to be battered, bruised, and bleeding. Italian guys, they got the big schnoz. Jewish guys, big schnoz. They don't want to get hit in their nose. An Irish guy walks around like it's a badge of courage if he's bleeding, if he looks like uh, if he looks like De Niro, remember, and raging bull against Sugar Ray Robinson where he's bleeding. You know, Irish guys love that. Yeah, I, maybe that's a New York thing. I, I don't know. I uh, My experience is basically my dad was from uh, Mayo. You know, that's uh, the west of Ireland, uh, Mayo, Sligo. And uh, mostly have black hair there, you, you know, not always. And they go blonde pretty quick, you know, when they, uh, you know, mate with other people. But, um, well, no, you're right. Uh, I mean, look, a lot of the Irish I met in Ireland when I was in Dublin, Coolock, Finlock, Valley Fairmont, they talk about their prowess uh, with their fists. But then I met some guys from Limerick in downtown Dublin, and they were talking about their prowess with knives. And I thought that maybe they were Puerto Rican Irish or something like that, because right away they were reaching into their back pocket. They wanted to show me how good they were with a blade. Not that they wanted to stick me, but show me how quick they were. Now, why is it the guys from Limerick fancy themselves as knife wielders? And then for most of the other counties that I've met uh, Irish guys from, they talk about their pugilistic abilities. Uh, I think that's, that's a culture, or that was a culture. Like my dad used to fight um, oh, semi-pro bouts uh, locally around here, around Plainfield. And, uh, you know, he did it when in his late, uh, I guess before he was 30, late 20s, which is no time to start boxing. But he did it, and, he, you know, he won all his fights, but you get beat up. You can't do it. So, you know. Well, I, I like it. The, the Irish, because you, you know, for a period of time, Bill uh, in New Jersey and New York, uh, boxing was illegal in the era of John L. Sullivan. So they would have a bout on a barge in the middle of the Hudson River, generally closer to the Jersey side than the New York side, so that the local, uh, the local uh, sheriffs, the local gendarme would not stop it. But boy, at times they would uh, bare knuckle it. No Everlast gloves. No gloves at all. Bare-knuckle boxing. The Irish love that. I don't quite understand that. <laughs> I understand you're out in the street. There's no Marcus of Queensberry rules, but bare-knuckle boxing. Whew. 
Well, maybe Frank in Queens has a different explanation of what the black Irish means. Uh, Frank, uh, what is your interpretation of black Irish? Hey, Curtis. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a uh, proud constituent of uh, Vicky Palladino here in Whitestone. Um, that guy, that guy, Bill, has no clue what he's talking about. I'm sorry. Both my parents were from Ireland. I lived there as a kid in Dublin. Um, basically what it is, it's similar to the way the, the Italians, like yourself, Curtis, up north, they have the blonde hair and the blue eyes, right? Yes. And then you go a little bit further south and they were mixing in with the Moors who came from Africa and you got your darker Italians. It's the same thing with the Irish, except they came they came over from Portugal and Spain, Iberian, and that's where you get what's called Black Irish. Now, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Colin Farrell, who's a famous actor, who you probably know, yeah. he's Black Irish. He has the jet black hair. He has the pale skin, but when you look at him, you don't see someone that looks distinctively Irish. Hmm. The same with, let's say, Bono from U2. He always had that jet black hair. And then if you look at someone like the golfer, Rory McIlroy, he's got the freckles, the light brown hair, and the fair skin. And, in fact, what's interesting, um, a lot of Irish people, they put up on YouTube their ancestry DNA results, and they're surprised when they find out that they're 10 to 15% Iberian. So wow. that's where it comes from. Wow. So they see, I had no idea that the freckles, uh, that's how I always identify the Irish freckles. When I was in Glasgow and Scotland, uh, you know, there, the Catholics were the minority, so they were oppressed by the Protestants. You know, they all used to flood uh, to the pitch uh, and root for the Rangers, the Catholics. No, no, the Celtics and the uh, Protestants would root for the Rangers. But I would ask the Scotsman, I'd say, well, uh, how do you know who's who? You all look to me the same. as oh, no, the Irish, quite a few of these Timmies, they got the, the freckles. Uh, uh, I didn't. Well, well uh, Curtis, what, what's interesting is the definition I just gave you, that is changing. And, and the reason is Ireland has gone as left-wing as we have here in the U.S., they have brought in tens of thousands of migrants from Africa. There are full-fledged African neighborhoods in Dublin. So pretty soon, you will literally have black Irish. Ah, ah. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Frank. Uh, I saw tinkers. That's what I call Congressman Peter King, a tinker. As they would travel the countryside like gypsies, like Roma people. They were out, right outside of Bally Fairmont near the airport, the international airport in Dublin. And they were gypsies. They lived in those uh, little mobile, uh, I guess you could call mini RVs, right by the garbage dump. And they came out, and some of the women had red hair, freckles, blue eyes. And my impression of gypsies, you know, because I've seen gypsies in Europe, uh, I know their origin is from India originally, and then they spread across the continent. Well, you look at the Tinkers, which are basically the travelers in Ireland. They don't at all look like the gypsies on the mainland in Europe, nor down uh, where they originated from in India. You got to watch it.
Gypsies come, you know, they're looking to pickpocket you. Oh, yeah, they surround you, they swirl, they swarm. <laughs> and then the women, they come up to you, they have these beautiful dresses. They almost look crocheted. And then they smile at you, and they got gold cap teeth. Gold cap teeth. I mean, let me tell you something. Uh, Broadway Bill Lee, the brothers, uh, would be saying, man, I wish I had those gold teeth, those fronts. I mean, solid gold. But beware, it's all meant to distract you. And then they want to read your palms, right? They want to tell you uh, about your life, and you know it ain't going to be good. They start looking at the creases in your hand, right, for $5, right? The creases, oh, you're going to have a very short life. You give me another $5, I'll find lines that will indicate you're going to live another 20 years. Oh, yeah, that's what uh, Congressman Peter King is. He's a tinker. And make of it whatever you want. Let's go to Jeff, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Hey, what's going on, Curtis? Those two jerks that were on the radio back then was Opie and Anthony. That's right, Opie, Opie, Dopey, and Anthony. That's right. You're right. You're right. Hey, look, uh, even though I didn't like them at one time, they superseded everybody else in the morning. They, they, had, they had a short ride as number one, and then they crashed and burned. Yeah, it was called whip, whip, whip It Out Wednesday. Ah, that's right. Whip It Out Wednesday. And then they convinced... All the women had a Whip It Out on the road to show everybody. Right, and then they convinced a man and a woman to go into the vestibule, I think, in St. Patrick's Cathedral and that's to yep. fornicate. Uh, and then uh, they got exposed, and then all of a sudden uh, it was bad news for Opie and Anthony because... Uh, their advertisers, because they were in commercial radio, not satellite radio, not serious, uh, just started bailing out in them in mass. But they they had a good right for a while. They were they were ahead of Stern. They were ahead of a lot of people. I remember I was doing morning radio at the time, and we were looking at their butts. They were doing very well, and then they just crashed and burned. And also, I don't think they got along with one another, uh, and they had to end up extricating like a couple that wants to kill one another before they end up going to family court for a divorce. That's correct. That's correct. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for straightening me out on that. I had a tough time remembering Opie and Dopey. Oh, no, no, I had a good ride. It wasn't my kind of talk radio, you know, uh, goofball radio, but a lot of people liked it. Oh, we got a third definition of black Irish from Bobby in Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Curtis, how are you, buddy? Uh, the guy was—he was in the ballpark, Curtis. But the, the black Irish, predominantly the Spanish Armada, got wiped out by the British, and they got—they got caught in a huge storm, and hundreds of Spaniards got washed up on island, and that's—that's that's primarily the deal. And the other thing is, the Norsemen, the Vikings, settled the River Shannon, and they—they—they they, they, uh, settled Dublin as a trading post. So that's how you get the mixtures. Curtis. Ah, Thank you very much, brother. So the, the Spanish Armada, the greatest armada ever assembled, until the British Armada came to beat our butts when the colonialists declared revolution against the king. Can you imagine the uh, revolutionary uh, members of our Continental Army, as small as it was for George Washington at first, when they were looking from Brooklyn across the Straits of the Verrazano and they saw all these red caps, and I'm not talking red beret guys, 
the red caps of the British coming across in longboats. And then they looked even further and they saw an armada that went as far as the eye could see. And all of them were sent by the king, mostly Hessians and mercenaries from Germany, Habsburg, to put down the rebels who only represented one-third of the population. Remember, only one-third of the population of the colonies were interested in revolting from the crown. The other two, two-thirds, were loyal. And the most loyal of all the places up and down the uh, East Coast, from Maine uh, right on down to uh, Georgia, New York City. The most loyal to the British, New York City, because they were the traders, they were the business people, They wanted to keep intact the relationship with Great Britain. They were more than happy to pay the tax and tariffs. Likewise, in the Civil War, a lot of people don't realize that in, uh, I believe it was 1861, when the shots were fired on Fort Sumter by the Confederates, and in 36 hours, the Union Army at the fort surrendered, and so began officially the Civil War. Do you know what was the second place that wanted to secede from the Union? I wonder if anybody out there knows what that answer is. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Curtis, I think that would be Maryland and Delaware. You mean in terms of seceding from the Union? Yes. Well, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. I'm sorry. I must have read the uh, things wrong. Anyway, by the way, I have a great, 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 great grandfather who served in the Union Army. He took the place of a man who was drafted. And didn't want to serve because he didn't want to free the blacks from slavery or uphold the union. He didn't want to risk his life. So the uh, family of my mother's cousin, Catherine Dottola, they have the discharge papers to prove it. So an Irishman... Because that's generally what happened. Irishmen uh, off the boat, maybe were here for a few years, uh, would end up he taking... He came in in 1851, married somebody, had a family. And when the war started, he took this other man's place that was drafted and didn't want to go into the army again. He did. He survived the Battle of the Bull Run, and the whole war. Wow. And got discharged honorably. I must tell you, uh, Michael, that that happened time and time again, so much so that the Irish had the draft riots in New York City because they were taking the place of the middle class, upper middle class, and wealthy sons who didn't want to go fight against the Confederacy in the Civil War. And so the Irish uh, were the ones who went and fought in their place. And they finally had enough, and they revolted. But who did they go after? They didn't go after the wealthy whites, the middle class, the upper middle class. They did go after, I think, the New York Times at that time, tried to burn the place down. 
But they went after African-Americans, blacks. And he started to lynch them. And then Lincoln, in the middle of the war, the Civil War had to send in Union troops to put down the Irish who were part of that draft rebellion. Although they had every reason to be pissed off. Because basically it was pay for play, right? We give you some uh, money, you go take our place, and you end up becoming cannon fodder. Well, I see we're missing some astute people uh, this morning, Broadway Billy. What was the second location that tried to secede from the Union after the Confederacy began the Civil War in South Carolina? South Carolina fired uh, their cannons uh, on Fort Sumter, the Union fort, and within 36 hours the Union had surrendered, uh, which started the... uh, the Civil War, South Carolina being the first to secede. Who tried to be the second to secede? It will shock you, and it will indicate how some of the things that we believe about some of the places that we live in are just part of manufactured revisionism, because if you do a deep dive, you'll understand that although... Our area, the tri-state area, is super significant to our revolutionary cause against the Brits. Wasn't all that it was cut out to be, at least the way it was taught to us in elementary, junior high school, and high school, if you bother to pay attention to history. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. South of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. Broadway, Billy, we gotta, we gotta take uh, Jersey Joe Piscopo aside, rough him up a bit, and say, "Hey, Joe, Giuseppe, how come you never play this song by Frank Sinatra, South of the Border? How come you never play it?" Now, remember, Frank Sinatra never sang a song about Hoboken. Nope. Never sang a song about his beloved New Jersey. Nope. We know sang a song about New York, right? Chicago. Uh, San Francisco? No, that was Tony Bennett. But he sang a lot of songs about going south of the border. And that was a time where the Trendoids, Freakasoids, Jet Setters, whether in New York or Hollywood, would flock south of the border to TJ, Tijuana, Ensenada, Baja. And they go all along the West Coast. And just enjoy themselves. So they would sing songs like this, extolling the virtues of going to Mexico. But I will tell you this. 
All of a sudden, a nasty turn has taken. The FBI, which used to stand for forever busting Italians, and then after 9-11, forever busting Islamists, now wants to bust your chops if you want to go on spring break to any of the various uh, Mexican locations that people have flocked to for decades. Not just college-age kids, high school-age kids, too. And this is just about the time when they start heading tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And immediately our State Department has said, do not travel to Mexico. We can't stop you. But our advisory says it is extraordinarily dangerous because of the narco-terrorists. And the fact that you had the four Americans from South Carolina, those four African-Americans, one woman, I believe three men, who were kidnapped by the Gulf Cartel and ended up two getting shot and killed, the others shot and injured. And I still scratch my head and I say, hey, Broadway Bill Lee, now wait a second, let's track their movements. Okay, so they, they go down to Brownsville, Texas, the border. Cross over to Matamoros, as many Americans have done uh, in the past and will continue to do. And supposedly for the female member of their foursome who wanted a tummy tuck. And yet when one of the guys back in South Carolina, when one of the media operatives contacted his wife, she said, what? He was where? With who? To get a tummy tuck? That putan! Fact is, I don't think they were down there. Well, what would you need three guys to accompany a woman to get a tummy tuck? Now, if you wanted to knock out the middleman and go down and buy your own drugs and bring it back, and then you're the wholesaler and the retailer, you're making even more money when you're dealing drugs. And it just so happens that all four of these Americans, unfortunately two dead, two others injured, have extensive records of dealing drugs in the past. They all come from the same town in South Carolina. Light bulbs, light bulbs. Do we think they were down there for a tummy tuck for the girl? Make that woman? Or do you think they were there to score drugs so that when they brought it back to South Carolina, they didn't have to deal with a middleman? More profit for them. And would that be a reason to go to war? Like we've been hearing them bang the war drums? I mean, I even remember in one of the Simpsons episodes, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, they were talking about the reward for the kiddie poos if they mind their P's and Q's would be going to TJ Tijuana. Well, I'm going to make it all up to you. I'm going to show you kids the time of your life. Get ready for two weeks at the happiest place on earth, Tijuana! Now, and I remember going to Tijuana in the 80s. Easy to get to. There really wasn't much of a fence separating the San Ysidro Canyon on the American side and TJ. The airport was right next to the border. In fact, if you went up into the hillside, that's where the wealthy lived. The racetrack was there. And extra AM, 690, 100,000 watts, double. The wattage of WABC, the most powerful news talk station in the nation. A hundred thousand watts of extra AM 690 aimed at the United States. 
Now, you know who was broadcasting in exile there? Wolfman Jack. Remember Wolfman Jack was in a battle with our own cousin Brucey? WNBC brought him in from Los Angeles. Originally, Wolfman Jack was from Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And uh, he had been hired to take out Cousin Brucey at WABC. It was a great battle. They were on six days a week at each other's throats at night. Ultimately, our Cousin Brucey won. Wolfman Jack went back, I believe, to uh, extra AM 690 in the hills of Tijuana. And then NBC hired Cousin Brucey to come over to NBC. That's called capitalism. That's called competition. But when you go to TJ, and I'll never forget, in TJ there was a restaurant where you had uh, Little Bob, 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 what was that? The Bob, Bob, classic burger joint in the Midwest. Uh, the name Bob is in it, Bob, Bob, and he was holding what looked like a Big Mac. A little bit of a rotund uh, young boy holding what looked like a Big Mac. In fact, it was the predecessor of the Big Mac. Uh, I believe that Ray Kroc, who stole the idea of McDonald's from the two McDonald's brothers in California, I think he got the idea for the Big Mac from Bob's. Does anybody remember the name of that restaurant? Because I actually saw that restaurant in TJ, Tijuana, and people were lined up around the block. Because that restaurant was synonymous with America. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But they have said, the FBI and the State Department, do not under any circumstance go for spring break to any of the various locations throughout Mexico that have been populated by high school age students, mostly from California, But college-age students, mostly from California, but from other parts of the country, every spring break. And I'm sure some of you, at some point in your life, whether as young adults on spring break or just a vacation any other time of the year, have gone to these fabulous resort places in Mexico. And I wouldn't doubt that Avery was probably down there knocking back mojitos or jello shots or margaritas or tequila. Well, you strike me, Broadway Bill Lee, that when you would vacation down on the west coast of Florida, maybe Cancun on the east coast down by the Mayan temples, you and your very dear friend, uh, Warner Wolf, be knocking back Coronas and uh, Modelos, right? Am I right or wrong? Okay. A little lemon in there, a little salt on the side, right? Come on, ladies and gentlemen, fess up. I want to hear your experiences over the decades of when you ventured down to Mexico, whether it was for your own spring break with other of your friends or maybe just to go vacation there or maybe to do business there because there are a lot. That was 1.6 million expats who live in Mexico now. And the reason that so many people found out that Americans were moving there were, A, they could survive on Social Security and live quite well in these compounds of expats. 1.6 million, Jesse the Body Ventura. You remember the wrestler from the WWF, WWE, became the independent uh, candidate for the governorship in Minnesota and won against Hubert Humphrey's son and uh, Norm Coleman, who is the cousin of our own Sid Rosenberg, originally was from Brooklyn, yeah, and then moved out to St. Paul. And so in a three-way race, 
Jesse the Bonnie Ventura won as the independent candidate, went on to become governor, and it was thought he would become the second coming of Ross Perot and run for the presidency uh, under the banner of the Reform Party. But he opted out not to run, moved to Mexico, where I believe he lives most of the time now, uh, and sort of uh, reveled in what it was to be an expat down there because of the quality of life, the cost of living, And the fact that you could be smoking marijuana back then, when it wasn't legal here back then, like as if you were part of the army of Pancho Villa that came across the border. In the early turn of the century, uh, when he was doing raids on ranches in New Mexico, uh, stealing, rustling cattle and uh, rustling horses and killing some Americans, and then all of a sudden Woodrow Wilson determined... And he was going to send Blackjack Pershing to find Pancho Villa and his banditos and string them up from the nearest cactus trees. Meantime, Pancho Villa was having a very good time. That very song, La Cucaracha, was based on smoking weed, reefer. No, no, it had nothing to do with roaches. You know, when you turn on the light in some of your apartments and all of a sudden it looks like there are military maneuvers as they scatter like Pancho Villa and his banditos. No, 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 no. That song, La Cucaracha, was about Pancho Villa in flight from the American troops dispatched by Woodrow Wilson. He told Blackjack Pershing, destroy Pancho Villa and his troops who had raided across the American border. Uh, I don't believe they ever got any of Pancho Villa's guys, even though they were flying uh, from all their Michoacan, their Acapulco gold, huh? Remember that? But that was preparation for World War I, because then eventually Blackjack Pershing was sent over to the European side to lead the American troops into battle to join the Brits and the French against the Huns, the Germans. Anyway, our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. But how many of you, like for instance, there are five hundred flights a day into Playa del Carmen. Five hundred flights a day. It's mostly from the United States. Do you think all of a sudden, uh, because the FBI and the State Department say it's dangerous in Mexico, that people aren't going to be boarding those flights, or the Cabo San Lucas? which is right on the West Coast, Puerto Vallarta, Acapulco, all on the West Coast. I would say probably the better resorts are on the West Coast, the Pacific Ocean, Mazatlan, and the tip of Baja. If you've ever been, uh, you know, just roll through uh, Tijuana. Nowadays, it's not worth stopping in Tijuana. But go to Ensenada. Ensenada is nice. And then you go to the tip of the Baja, right there in the Pacific Ocean, Los Cabos. That's... That's good stuff. You're going to be telling me that Americans are going to cease and desist going there. Puerto Vallarta, Acapulco, which is all on the west side. And then Cancun, which a lot of folks go to uh, on the east coast, way down where the Mayan temples are before you hit Belize which is predominantly English-speaking. A lot of people don't know that and have their own series of resorts there unaffiliated with the Mexicans. But I'd like to know, how many people do you really think are not going to break out to Mexico, which uh, flights are very cheap, accommodations are cheap, 
And again, it's an endless flow of liquor. And those compounds, they have armed security. Uh, Okay, occasionally the narco-terrorists, they're going to end up killing a tourist. But, you know, does anybody remember what we were dealing with in the 1990s down in Miami? How many tourists would fly into Miami, Miami International Airport, and they'd start going, heading towards the hotels on uh, Miami Beach, and they'd end up taking the wrong turn through either Liberty City or Overtown, and all of a sudden they'd get their throats slit or shot in the back of the head and robbed? I remember... German tourists on a number of occasions flew into Miami, took the wrong turn, and all of a sudden, one particular incident that was revolting more so than the others, a woman was killed during a robbery as her children and mother watched. Americans did that. And a lot of Europeans wanted to cancel coming to Miami because they love South Beach. You know, Euro trash, they love South Beach. So the uh, tourism industry in that part of southern Florida, along Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, down to Miami Beach, Dade County, was beginning to suffer. And so they had, like, uh, forum after forum. What were they going to do? This was the number one industry in Florida, tourism. Billions of dollars were coming in there. So they had to make tourist-friendly roadsides leading away from Miami International Airport, away from the bad neighborhoods. Remember there were the smash-and-grab robberies in which tourists leaving the airport in easily identifiable rental cars were followed by thieves who would wait at a stoplight, bump into them, jump out of the car, put guns to their head, and sometimes shoot them in the head and then steal whatever they could steal. America, that was happening in America. Let's not act like it only happens in Mexico. And I still question, although they didn't deserve getting shot, they didn't deserve getting killed, what these four, three men and one woman from South Carolina were doing in Matamoros on the other side of Brownsville. They said accompanying the woman for tummy tuck. I'm sorry. I don't buy that. I think they went there to score drugs. They came across a set of the Gulf Cartel. The Gulf Cartel is at war with the Zetas. The Zetas, if you know anything about it, were the cream of the crop of the Mexican Marines, the special forces that we brought to Fort Benning, Georgia in the 90s. We trained them there in Georgia so that they would go back and fight the narco-terrorists like Pablo Shorty Guzman, who's now doing triple life without parole in Florence, the super maximum correctional facility in which there is no natural light. Man, it's buried in the ground there in Colorado. But there are other narco-terrorists who have taken his uh, spot. But the Zetas then went back to Mexico to fight the narco-terrorists, and then they realized, wow, we got better armaments. The Americans have given us machine guns, have given us automatic weapons. We now have uh, advanced uh, radar tracking capabilities. We're so much uh, better trained than any of the narco-terrorists. So guess what? They hired themselves out as security to the narco-terrorists, especially the Gulf Cartel that controlled most of the operations on the border area from Texas to Arizona to New Mexico, right to TJ, uh, which was separated from the San Ysidro Canyon on the American side. So they were hired thugs, hired security. And then they realized, 
What the hell? Why should we be high at security? We could become narco-terrorists ourselves and then keep all the profits, and they've been at war ever since. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And for all of you uh, who used to go watch Cheech and Chong, remember Up in Smoke, all the great Cheech and Chong movies about them down at the border? I'll never forget when Richard Nixon came back from the political grave. It's like he was resurrected uh, like Lazarus from the dead. Remember, he had barely lost to JFK in 1960. Let's be honest. JFK, his family stole the election in uh, Crook County with the help of the Daily Machine and organized crime. He then went on to run for governor of California. He lost uh, in 62, and he said, you won't have Nixon to kick around any longer. And then all of a sudden, he resurfaced in 68. He's running in the Republican primary. Against all odds, he wins. George Wallace, remember, was swinging up north to the far right, getting a lot of traction from moderate Democrats. Uh, and Hubert Humphrey uh, was running because LBJ had decided to drop out because of the Vietnam War, and he knew he could not beat Come Clean McCarthy and RFK that was in the rings who uh, wings who all of a sudden from being a hawk became a dub. You know, you know that story. But when Richard Nixon got elected in 68 over Hubert H. Humphrey and George Wallace, he immediately launched a war on drugs. And his focus was Mexico. I remember the speech. I remember he had just been elected. And he was uh, talking about how the nemesis public enemy number one is Mexico and all the drug dealers there the two key drugs that were pouring in across the border were marijuana and heroin, and then uh, eventually cocaine that was being processed in uh, Colombia, Bolivia, and then being shipped to Mexico and brought across the border. The Medellin cartel run by Pablo Escobar, the Cali cartel. And so Richard Nixon launched uh, what he called an all-out war. We always have these wars against drugs. How do they work out? And then he poisoned the fields, the marijuana fields, the Michoacan fields, the Acapulco gold fields. And they thought, oh, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll destroy the crops. There won't be any marijuana. And uh, Sergeant Joe Friday of uh, Dragnet uh, will be relieved so he won't have to uh, warn kids that smoking marijuana uh, is like the worst possible thing they could ever do. They're wretched. They vomit. And soon they'll become heroin addicts, dropping LSD, tuning in and tuning out. Right? Remember that? Well, that didn't work. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget the movie Up in Smoke with Cheech and Chong. I think that was like 1978. And uh, they had a news reporter at the border. It was very funny. Listen to the name of the news reporter who was telling us the interdiction that the United States was trying to do with the Drug Enforcement Agency and other law enforcement agencies. And remember... Uh, first and foremost on the border was Elvis because he got the badge from Richard Nixon as America's number one DEA agent, drug enforcement agent, even though he was the biggest doper in all America. This is Toyota Kawasaki. You're at the Mexican-United States border where a huge task force of narcotic custom agents is preparing a surprise welcome for a vehicle which they say is constructed entirely of high-grade marijuana. Toyota Kawasaki, right? <laughs> Get that? Because that's where, remember, they had that no-tax zone. They were making cars. 
Japanese cars, American cars down there because it was cheaper to make them down there or make the parts and then ship the parts to America, ship the parts uh, to uh, Yokohama, to Tokyo, and then make uh, the full cars there. Remember that? Right, right. So the name. (laughs) That was a great play on words. This is Toyota Kawasaki. You're at the Mexican-United States border. That was great. I wonder if anybody caught that as they were smoking their own Michoacan, their own Acapulco gold in the theaters. And then, of course, there was the border interrogation and the crackdown by American authorities to try to stop the flow of marijuana, heroin, and the beginnings of cocaine coming in from Colombia, the Medellin cartel of Pablo Escobar, the Cali cartel, but actually shipping it through Mexico. How long you guys been in Mexico? A week. I mean, they did that day. Which one is it, a week or a day? It's a weekday. You got any narcotics or marijuana in here? <coughs> uh, not anymore. What the, you guys better step out of that van. That's right. Step out of your van. How many people had to be stepping out of their cars, their vans, their 18-wheel tractor trailers, and submitting themselves to a complete search of even their belly button lint. And then inevitably there would always be the interview at the border with the Sergeant Joe Friday of that uh, that police precinct telling us how they were saving us from the evil influence of all the drugs coming across the border from Mexico into the United States. Exactly what are you looking for? Dope, drugs, weed, grass, toot, smack. Quackers, uppers, downers, all arounders, you name it, we want it. And how important is it to you to apprehend the suspects? Critical. The buying and selling of dope in this country may be the last vestige of free enterprise left. There's rumor, Sergeant, that the suspects might be armed and dangerous. Do you expect to see any violence here today? I certainly hope so. Sergeant, have you yourself smoked marijuana? Once. Sergeant, telephone. Hi, Mom. heavy. <laughs> As they were taking Cheech and Chong away and changed the shackles. By the way, what was the name of that reporter again on the border? What was her name? How long you guys been in Mexico? Now, what was her name? Kawasaki something? Toyota Kawasaki. This is Toyota Kawasaki. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Toyota Kawasaki. You get that? You get it. I got it. This is Toyota Kawasaki. I bet there are a lot of people who don't understand why she was called Toyota Kawasaki. This is Toyota Kawasaki. In fact, if you do know why she was called Toyota Kawasaki, remember this was 1978. Please give us a call at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Toro, Toro, to the bull ring, Toro. Although I think that will piss off Nancy, bullfighting, right? Let me see, where did I see a bullfighting ring in Mexico? Hmm. Now, it wasn't TJ. It wasn't Ensenada. wasn't Juarez. I think it was Nueva Laredo on the other side of Laredo, Texas. I can't put, hmm, I only saw one bull ring there, and it was pretty, 
pretty motley looking uh, bull ring. Well, maybe I'm uh, mistaking it for when I saw the, the bull ring outside of Barcelona, Spain, on my way to. Uh, where was I? It'll come to me momentarily. Oh, yeah. Uh, those little cabs that meet you at the border, they will take you wherever you want to go in Nuevo Laredo. You want to go to a doctor? You want to go to a dentist? $5, $5. You want to go to Walmart of drugstores where they sell everything legally in Mexico, some of which you can't buy legally in the United States? And then they had a place called Boys Town where, hmm, uh, if you're a little light in the loafers, uh, that's where you wanted to go. Oh, yeah. Whatever your proclivities, whatever your decadence and debauchery, you could always uh, sort of find it south of the border in Mexico. And now, all of a sudden, they're telling you don't go south of the border because of the narco-terrorists, because of all the potential harm that may come your way. Even though millions and millions of Americans travel there each and every year, rarely are any of them harmed. I would bet you that there are more Mexican tourists who come into the United States who end up getting robbed, pistol-whipped, carjacked, uh, hurt, shot, killed, raped. Then there are, likewise, of Americans going into Mexico. I have no analytical data on that. But I'll bet you that there's quite a bit of that that's gone on. And guess what? I don't think Mexicans are... I don't think the Mexican president has indicated uh, don't travel to the United States. In fact, he's encouraging many of his people to not only travel to the United States, but stay in the United States and send the remittance back. That's what they want. They want you to go to Western Union or the remittance parlors and send your money, your dollars that you're making here working seven days a week back to your town, your cola, your cola. Colonia, Colonia, Colonia. Yeah, Colonia, as they call them there. Colonia Juarez, Colonia Libertad. Send it back because the remittance adds to their GNP. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's go. There are a whole bunch of calls here. We don't want to keep people uh, waiting for a month of Sundays. To Dave, all the way out in Arizona, which is a border state. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, Curtis, good morning. Hey, uh, that was Bob's Big Boy, I believe you were talking about, the hamburger. But uh, down here in Tucson, you can go to any shopping center on a weekend, and you're going to see hundreds and hundreds of license plates from Sonora. And uh, when I was at Fort Benton, I was dating a girl. She worked at the School of Americas, where they taught these uh, Mexicans uh, all kind of infantry tactics. And she was an interpreter. She was a really good woman. And I was at the Airborne School, and she was uh, at the School of Americas. But, you know, the last time when I was in the military back in the 70s, we were we were at Camp Pendleton and then Camp uh, – we were at Coronado. We did some cross-training with the Navy, Steels, and then the Marines at Pendleton. We went down to Tijuana uh, just for R&R and got some tequila with the worms in a bottle, tried to bring it back across the border, and, they, and the Border Patrol stopped us. They wouldn't let us bring that stuff back so we had a we had to sit and, and find a 
find a nice shade place and drink it. And we, we, uh, that was another story. But anyhow, Hey, that couple weeks ago, you were talking about Rod Stewart and, uh, the, from the twilight zone. Now that man was a paratrooper. He was with the 11th airborne. He did two combat jumps, three combat jumps in Corregidor. And, and, uh, what a, what a patriot, what a, what a human being. I tell you what, and I hope they get that statue that uh, you were talking about, they're going to they're gonna try to enact in New York. Right, well, well, Rod Shirley, who was originally from yeah, Bingington, New York, they're trying to put up a statue in a park. I actually met two women at the Neptune Diner in Astoria just the other night. They had moved down to Astoria. Both sisters were from Binghamton, and I, I threw that question at them. Who was, who was the most famous person ever to come out of Binghamton? And they said, without hesitating, oh, Rod Serling. You know, uh, Twilight yeah. Zone. Uh, and uh, I got to tell you, th- that guy was so great uh, in terms of his production on TV. But, boy, you hit the trifecta there. You uh, knew that at Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, that we have a school for foreign soldiers mm-hmm. that we yeah, attract from all over. Right, that we uh, attract from all over the world. is The Zetas were formed at Fort Benning. They were the cream of the crop in Mexico, the Mexican Marines, the Mexican Special Forces. We sent them back to do battle against the narco-terrorists, and guess what? They became narco-terrorists. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, another thing, Curtis, they, uh, I was watching this, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's on YouTube, it's a, it's a channel, it's called 60 Minutes Australia, and, and check it out. There's a, there's a scene in there where they're talking about the Rambo of, uh, of Mexico. And this guy is the chief of police of Tijuana. And this guy is an ass kicker. He's, uh, he's got his family's in exile. He's going head to head with the cartel. And you got to watch that segment. It's about 15 minutes long and it's a real good program. It's the Australia of, uh, 60 minutes. And, well, no, 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 I'll definitely, I promise, Dave, I will definitely watch that because I spent a lot of time in TJ. But I want to ask you one question. You mentioned yes, in Tucson there that there are a lot of license plates from Sinola, oh, Mexicans who cross the border. Down, down in, uh, right. And uh, uh, can you explain how much traffic goes back and forth legally oh across goodness. the border? There's an interstate right outside of Tucson. I-10 comes from L.A., comes through Phoenix and it shoots down to Tucson, then it goes west to New Mexico. And we got another interstate, I-19, that goes from central Tucson all the way down to Nogales, and that's the border town. But you can come up to Tucson, and it's like it's like 60 miles from Nogales, uh, Sonora, to Tucson. And there's thousands of, of vehicles in all the shopping centers in Marana, Tucson, Green Valley, uh, Vail, I mean, Ore Valley, all all down in southern Arizona shopping. And, and, and these are legitimate, legal. They come up here to shop, you know, and uh, some of them come up here to, to work and they go back and then they and then they uh, they spend their money thousands and thousands of dollars. And then during COVID, it, they took a hit um, all down here. And, and Tucson is a big liberal town because you got the University of Arizona, the Wildcats. And, and and then so I mean a lot of those a lot of those professors are tenured, and and they're brainwashing our kids, and it's a shame. And you know me being a retired military, and and I'm I'm you're fighting head to head with these all these lefties here. And here in in Arizona, you know 
we have what they call constitutional carry. And I wish I tell you what, that story you were telling a couple of weeks ago when you, you jumped over the fence, if you were packing there, my good brother, that wouldn't have happened. You could have you could have you know, cut those people in half. I carry a Colt single action army and and uh you gotta you gotta pack everywhere you go around here because you don't know. Well, we're so close. That, and that segment I was telling you about Australia, sixty minutes. There was a there was an incident in Texas where the Texas sheriff's department was chasing these uh, this car full of drugs, and then the car ended up going back to the border. And then you know what caught caught the cars at the border? It was the Mexican military, and they they drew their guns on our sheriff's deputies in Texas. And then and they, they took the drugs out of the car because the car crashed. They took the the drugs out of the car, and then they bit they lit the car on fire. And at the same time, our deputies on the other side of the border they were under they were under siege, and the guns were pointing at them. I said that's insane, Curtis. We are being invaded down here, and when they hit our when they hit our our deserts, and then and then two three weeks later they're up in New York City. They're now, now question, uh, Dave, have you ever driven into Mexico? Well, the last time I was in Mexico, when I was in, uh, uh, it was I was uh, in Yuma, Yuma, Arizona. I got they called me back to active duty, so they sent me to Yuma in the summertime. And when it's a hundred degrees here in in Tucson, it's a hundred and ten in in Yuma. And so I, we went down to Algodonas, which is right on the other side of the Yuma, on on the California side. And we were we went down there, and back then you just walked across the border, showed them your pet, you showed them your your ID, your driver's license, and then we we were getting twenty five cent Coronas, and uh, ten cent tacos. We were down there for the afternoon. We came back, and and uh, that was the last time I've been to Mexico was Algodonas, and then I know people that go down there like No Nogales, Sonora. They go down there for dental work because you can get like a teeth cleaning down there. For like thirty five dollars, and it's and it's really reputable because if you go down there and and the people know if you if you start ripping off the the tourists and especially along the border town and Naco and Nogales and then and then down in, in California side of of southern uh, southern California and Arizona right there where Yuma and and California meet, that I means you start ripping and then during the winter time Yuma Arizona there's like. 150,000 people there because all the snowbirds that come up from Illinois and 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 Minnesota they come down here because the winter down here is real mild you know like to, like today was 70 degrees tomorrow is supposed to get up to 80 you know and it's in and, and and they got spring training going on up in Phoenix you know so so anyhow too bad the Yankees aren't here in Arizona so let me ask you something who's your favorite Yankee there Curtis well, there's only one favorite Yankee of all time, and clearly he's no longer on this plane. That's number seven, Mickey Mantle. There'll never be another Mickey, Mickey Mantle. Mantle. Although, yeah. as a human being, he was a complete degenerate. Complete yeah. degenerate. But I, I will ask you this. I want you to listen to one of our other talk show hosts here at WABC who made it seem like if you went anywhere in Mexico, you'd be taking your life in your hands. If you're on the highway in Mexico, you are traveling on an unsafe road. No matter what highway you are, you Whoa. are open to a threat. 
Now, Dave, there are millions of Americans who travel into Mexico. There's one and a half million expats who live in Mexico who go back and forth. I ran ran into one yesterday or or two days ago. She was at the post office, and she was was driving a a vehicle with Sonoran license plates. And a a white girl, an older lady, and and I'm talking to her, and and she lives down down, uh, south of Nogales near Hermosito. And uh, and I said, man, I mean, she 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 speaks a little bit of Mexican, uh, and then uh, but she was telling me she has no problems living down there, plus the cost of living. So so. Uh, oh yeah, you can fine. live uh, you can live on Social Security, have a nice yeah. house. But yeah, y- yeah I, I want everybody to hear this again. James Golden here spreading fear, fright, hysteria, and hype about Mexico. If you're on a highway in Mexico. You are traveling on an unsafe road. No matter what highway you are, you are open to a threat. Where the hell did he get that from, Dave? Yeah, you know, I love Bo. I listen to him, and 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 there, there's a there's a, uh, a a little area down there called Rocky Point, which is south of Nogales on the Baja, and and uh, it's it's uh, it's a destination in the summertime. Spring, spring train or spring, uh, spring break—they call it. Oh yeah. And then the U of A. So a lot of college kids go down to Rocky Point, and and uh, there's a road that goes. You know, it's like from you can take it from uh, Lukeville, which is uh, west of Tucson. That's another border town. Lukeville goes down to Rocky Point, and and uh, there's there's usually no no problems because if you break down the federales, well, well. They, you know, they got Wi-Fi repeaters up and down that road, so you got Wi-Fi capability to call a tow truck and stuff. But a lot of people, they 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 take buses down there. You know, they get like a bus here in Tucson yeah, and they yeah, rent it. Dave, yeah, there's, there's, there's all these there. the, all these misconceptions about Mexico. Two hundred and fifty million trips a year are made into Mexico by Americans in vehicles. Mostly cars, some vans, some pickup trucks, some 18-wheel tractor trailers. Nothing happens to most of them. But because of what happened to these four guys and gals coming in from South Carolina, and again, I'm not buying the fact that these three guys accompanied this woman from that town in South Carolina to observe her get a tummy tuck come on. They were there to score drugs. The deal probably went south with the uh, Gulf Cartel or whatever sect of the Gulf Cartel they were dealing with. They ended up getting shot. Two died. Two were injured. Thankfully, they're alive. The other two, unfortunately, are dead. But we're going to go to war over that. We're going to lob cruise missiles into Mexico because of that. And who's leading this effort? Warmonger Lindsey Graham. Remember Lindsey Graham, right? right? Let's go to war in Iraq. Let's go to war in Iran. Let's go to war in Syria. Let's go to war in, in uh, Libya. When John McCain was alive and Joe Lieberman from Connecticut, the three amigos, they always used to go war, 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 war. No, 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 no. Sorry. 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 No, no. Sorry. Mexico is a safe haven. It is a narco terrorist state. Um, the save event provides Mexican cartels the ability with impunity 
to deliver lethal doses of fentanyl into our nation uh, that is the leading cause of death of Americans from 18 to 45. So what do you want to do? It's- what do you want to do? Well, Lindsey Graham, you want to throw some cruise missiles in there. Huh? You, you, you think you're going to stop the fentanyl? We have the insatiable appetite for drugs here in America. We've been talking about this since the 60s. How many years ago is that? It's almost 30 years. Well, no, no, 40, 50, 60, almost 60 years. We've been blaming all other countries for our own drug drug problems here. Yeah, it's the, they're forced, they forced the fentanyl into our arms, right? They forced the cocaine up our nose. They forced the marijuana into our lungs. Oh, yeah, they forced it. Uh, our Americans have forced to take it, bull feathers. America has an insatiable appetite for drugs. If it wasn't coming from Mexico, it would come from other places because Americans want to get stoned. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Oh, man, I got a Santana. You ever been down to Mexico? Yeah, those cabs. They'll take you. They'll take you wherever you want to go. Have you ever been to any of the resorts? And the birds up in the trees are called Santanas. And if you have blonde hair, they attack you. I don't know. They have, like, this predilection. Anybody with blonde hair, they attack. Oh, yeah, the Santanas. Now, I know this is Santana, right? Oye, oye, como va? But I'm talking the birds, the Santana birds. Yeah, I've spent some time in Mexico. I'm not in fear, fright, hysteria, and hype like the FBI, like uh, the the, uh, State Department. They don't want anybody traveling to Mexico because of the narco-terrorists. They've been there for decades. Anyway, let's go to uh, Bruce, who's calling all the way from Belize. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bruce. Hey, Curtis, nice talking to you, brother. Hey, listen, you know, I'm in Belize, so, you know, we're, we border, um, you know, Mexico. So I've been in Mexico a lot. Um, I just got a question for you, if you don't mind, flip the table a little bit, because you seem like you know Baja pretty well. Now, we used to go down to TJ, I'm talking 40 years ago. And what was the next stop on the way down? Ensenada. Well, you would stop. Ensenada. You, no, Rosarita Beach. Rosarita Beach Hotel. Then you got to Ensenada. And what was the famous bar in Ensenada where all the expats went to drink and it smelled like turpentine? You know the <laughs> name of it? <laughs> no, because I, I hated gin mills, to be honest with you. Just telling you, it's called Hassan. And it was, a, it was insane. However, um, so Belize now, we have a water taxi that runs right from, I'm on an island. I think I told you, I live in San Pedro. We talked before. And San Pedro is an island, like Isla Bonita, Madonna. So you can take a water taxi from San Pedro, where I live right now, to Chetamal, Mexico. Okay? So you got to do immigration, all that stuff. 
And a lot of people go there to shop because Belize is kind of like, and we are English speaking. It was British Honduras. You're right about that. It's the only English speaking country in Central America. And we got a ton of expats here and snowbirds like Mexico. You know how much my rent is, Curtis? 600 U.S. a month. Are you joking me? And I'm on Social Security. So like you say, I heard last week on ABC, maybe the average rent in Manhattan is $4,100 yep. a month. Yep. So the Riviera Maya, like Tulum, like if you come down from Cancun, you got Playa, you got Tulum, right? If that ever gets, you know, if that goes sour, then they got a real problem. So they cannot let that place, you know, uh, I got friends who live in Bacalar, I got friends who live in Chetamal, I got friends who live in Tulum, you know, because I'm in, because a lot of uh, the Mexicans come here for R&R, you know, because they can just get on the water taxi and bop down here. So um, I used to love going to Mexico and, uh, and I still like going there, but I, can't travel as much as I used to. And you're talking about Alcook Bull. It was $20 an ounce back in the 80s, man. And it was gold, brother. It was like your wedding ring. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Hmm. So um, I give you a little perspective. And, um, and, and you know what they do? They run the cocaine up from um, Colombia in these boats. And they come right by Belize because Belize is on the way to Mexico, right? And we don't really have a Coast Guard in Belize. And, but now and then... I hear them at night, and they're buzzing, no lights on, and we have a big reef here, and every now and then, they have a bunch of cocaine, and they're getting chased, and they have to throw it out, because they don't want to get busted, right? Yes. You know, they got GPS trackers in those bells, and they wash up on the shore, and they're called white lobster, and they're full of cocaine. <laughs> Dude, I'm not lying. White lobsters. <laughs> You never touch them. You do not, because they got GPS trackers in them. Mm. So they know when they dump them out of the boat where they are. Now, Belize, I meet so many younger people who are pre-retirement, who are coming down here and doing, you know, scouting it out because they're a little reluctant to go to Mexico now. And Belize, English-speaking country, they use a dollar. We use a dollar, by the way. They take American and Belize dollars. And my rent six hundred dollars a month. My electric bills twenty five bucks. You know, you can live on Social Security. That's why so many people, you know, expats, you know, come to Belize and Mexico. And my friend moved to Panama, and uh, you know, just to get out of the states because a lot of people don't like the way the states going. And they, I, I meet them here all the time. You know, they're from wherever. They're from all over the place in the states. Not just snowbirds. People that doing recon and coming down here and checking out the prices. And it's very safe. I mean, Belize is probably one of the safest companies in Central America. There's really, I mean, we have our drugs. Okay, we got Belize City. Okay, we got the mainland where it's dangerous. You probably heard of Belize City if you're in the Garden Angel. Sure. As you have today at the dentist. Okay, so I have to take a plane over to the mainland, right? Because there's really no medical care here. And Merida in Mexico, that's where everybody goes for medical care. If you want top-shelf medical care, you have to go to Merida. So you take the taxi over to Chetamal, you get on the bus, and you go across. But we're on the Yucatan Peninsula, as you know, because we're on the east side, so we don't have the ocean. And it's just beautiful, Curtis. It is just 
The water is crystal clear, that blue-green Caribbean. You've been to the Caribbean. You oh, know. yeah. I know. Uh, uh, Cancun is not that far from you, right? Well, actually, it's about a five- or six-hour bus ride. And that road up the Riviera Maya, no, it's, it's a bit of a hike. Because, you know, a lot of Europeans fly in the, to Cancun, and they take the bus down because they can get direct flights from, like, London, Amsterdam, places like that to Cancun. It's very hard to get to Belize City, you know, or, or it'll cost you a fortune if you follow me. So they fly to Cancun, they hop on the bus, you have to stay overnight, you can't do it in one day. Um, and then you, you camp out somewhere, maybe Tulum, you know, they're called margaritas, next day you get on the bus and you, and you, and you come down to Belize. And that's what they do. And they repeat the process when they leave. So um, I just wanted to chime in, because we've talked before. Yeah, no, no, and, Bruce, uh, uh, because uh, I think what people don't understand with all this fear, fright, hysteria, and hype is that this is good for all the countries involved. It's good for Belize. It's good for Mexico. It's good for the United States. It, it provides choice so that if you are at retirement age, as you mentioned, you get priced out in the United States in many instances. Yeah. At least you have a place with a good quality of life where it's not like you're living in a third world country because you can afford to have the amenities that you had in a first world country but pennies to the dollar. And why shouldn't people who want to retire have a decent place to live where they're not being priced out? And unfortunately, in a lot of places in the United States, that's exactly what's taking place. And if you see the direction that we're going with our Social Security system, which may soon uh, be on the cusp of bankruptcy, there may be even less Social Security that you're getting, even though you paid into the system because it's less population working, less population paying into the system, and yet we keep siphoning money out of it. So it's good. This is all good. But the fear, fright, hysteria, and hype is not good because the only ones who benefit are the military-industrial complex, starting with Blackstone, and work your way down that Fortune 500 portfolio because they're the only ones who profit from war. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Santana. I was talking about how the birds, they call them Santana birds. If you happen to have blonde hair, they just swoop out of the trees and they buzz bomb you. They try to snatch your head 
Now, if you have brown hair, dark hair, no hair, they leave you alone. But if you have blonde hair, you are the target of the Santana birds. I wonder if any of you have ever come across the Santana birds that are perched high in the trees of Mexico, not far from Cancun. And then all of a sudden they see a blondie walking by and then... And there you go. They either knock you down or they grab your hair. Anyway, the warmonger himself, General Lindsey Graham, who never knew a country that he didn't want to go to war against. Remember, Iraq, uh, weapons of mass destruction, not Iran, North Korea, Red China, Russia, Libya, Syria. When John McCain and Senator Joe Lieberman were the three amigos traveling the world to look for a place we could go to a war against. Now, Lindsey Graham's all by his lonesome self, but if he can't go to war against any of those, he certainly can start a war with Mexico. Drug cartels in Mexico have been terrorizing Americans for decades. We're going to unleash the fury and might of the United States against these cartels. We're going to destroy their business model and their lifestyle because our national security and the security of the United States as a whole depends on us taking decisive action. Really? Can you imagine going back to the days in Sierra Madre where uh, Humphrey Bogart was positioned up in the hills with the other Americans as they were panning for gold, and then they were stopped by the federales in Mexico? Oiga, señor, we are federales, you know, the mountain police. If you're the police, where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Better not come any closer. No sea tonto, hombre. We didn't try to do you any harm. Why don't you try to be a little more polite? Because you're gone, and we leave you in peace. I need my gun myself. Oh, uh, throw that old light on over here. We'll pick it up and go Norway. You go anyway without my gun and go quick. Shot him right through his sombrero. And it was interesting because it reminded me of the typical American, Charlton Heston, you'll have to pry this gun out of my cold, dead hands. Remember? Second Amendment, NRA. That's what most Americans are like. It certainly fit the stereotype on both ends, both the Mexican stereotype and the American stereotype in the movie The Treasure of Sierra Madre. But the Federales regrouped after having a little bit of a cabal discussed amongst themselves. Okay, we can't force the American uh, Americans out from panning for gold. Maybe we could bribe them out. Look here, amigo. You got the wrong idea. We don't want to get you gun for nothing. We want to buy it. Look, I have a gold watch with a gold chain made in your own country. The watch and the chain, they worth at least 200 pesos. I'll change it for you, gone. You better take it. That's a good business for you. You keep your watch, I'll keep my gun. Oh, you keep it. You will keep it. We won't get it. I'll show you. 
Me lleva la... <laughs> and Humphrey Bogart shot the gold watch. Like, they don't even make gold watches in America anymore, right? So you see the federalists thought, hey, I could bribe them to get the guns. No, you can't get an American's gun. Take their wife, take their kids, take their dog, take their cat, take their car, take their house. Just don't take an American's gun. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Alex calling all the way from California. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Alex. Oh, hi, Curtis. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to say that you're you're an excellent host and very uh, interesting and engaging. And I had a suggestion for a future career move. Uh, basically, uh, you host a uh, political a discussion group modeled after the McLaughlin group uh, that was on PBS for several decades. And two of the four panelists would be Anthony Weiner and uh, Frank Morano representing the moderate left and right. And then you'd have an additional two, which two seats, which rotate among uh, people from the uh, further left and further right. And I think that'd be really interesting because one thing about you is that your, your manner of speaking bears a, somewhat of a resemblance to the late John McLaughlin. And I think uh, on top of that, your insights are, are pretty pretty sharp. So I'd, I'd, I'd hope you would consider such a move. Well, I would because uh, I did appear one time on the John uh, McLaughlin report. Pat Buchanan was part of his panel. I forget which other of their regular panelists were there. They always had a spot for like a guest panelist. I was a guest panelist one time. It was an interesting format because it wasn't just shouting, uh, uh, blovating. Uh, it was some serious discussion. It wasn't like PBS-style discussion, but it was an interesting format. And it certainly needs to be revived, Alex. That's that's for sure. But I can imagine with Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, Anthony, the Weiner Wiener, as two of the panelists, yeah, no, no. I think uh, that, that is a excellent idea, Alex. Now, where in uh, California do you live? Uh, I live in Silicon Valley, and uh, I've I've watched the McLaughlin Group for many years, and I was I'm saddened that it has basically faded away. And when I when I heard you talk, I it reminded me of John McLaughlin. So I thought that perhaps you, you could uh, you could serve that role. And moreover, I, I find that your analysis speaks the truth as opposed to speaking to what your audience wants to hear. And so I, I thought that was a particularly strong point among among you and Anthony Weiner and also Frank Morano. No, no, that's something I think we'll try to put together. Now, you live in Silicon Valley. Were you at all impacted by the Silicon Valley Bank that was shut down by the California regulators uh, earlier on Friday? Uh, not me personally, because that bank primarily lent out money to uh, or invested money in startup companies. So if you were a startup and you had funds uh, from that bank, you would have been impacted. But hmm. uh, but I, I don't I don't work at a startup, although there are a lot of startups in the area. But that that story of the bank was a big news in this area because uh, because, as you know, this is a startup culture. And the other thing is that. Uh, Another characteristic of this area is that a lot of these startups basically exaggerate uh, what their accomplishments are. So that could, in a sense, uh, be related to the to the startup bank 
the Silicon Valley Bank because uh, they may have invested based on hype, and they and that could also have stretched too much of their funds. Oh, there's no doubt, and obviously uh, that's had ramifications uh, in the banking community, especially uh, amongst the uh, smaller regional banks that sort of felt the shockwaves of that. We'll see how that all uh, shakes out. But uh, you don't live that far from uh, the uh, FTX uh, uh, guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, who's under house arrest, do you? Yeah, I might. I don't know his exact address, but basically Silicon Valley ranges from uh, South San Jose all the way up to about uh, uh, San, uh, San Mateo. And in that region, uh, there's a large number of companies. So if you live there, you're probably connected somehow to uh, to uh, other people in Silicon Valley as well. Well, it's amazing because he probably ripped off the investors to the tune of about $38 billion that they can't find, Sam Bankman-Fried. He's at home with his mom and dad, who are professors, who teach law ethics uh, right there um, in, um, why am I forgetting, the college that Tiger Woods went to. Why am I drawing a blank on that, Alex? Tiger Woods went to Stanford University. That is correct. Stanford University uh, law uh, professors. And he has been able to see people. People have come over to visit him. You know, normally you're under house arrest, Alex. That's it. You know, if a doctor has to see you, if your lawyer has to see you, a paralegal, that's it. They've had like a line of people coming in and out. I'm saying, hey, man, throw this guy in San Quentin. Uh, put him on Pelican Island there in California until his trial takes place. But what about the torrential rains that have decimated parts of California? Have they affected you at all there? Um, actually, it has. I mean, there has been almost constant rain for the last week and a half. And uh, the in San Jose, they've... Uh, They've declared a an emergency evacuation for all homeless people. Although that, uh, I, I'm not sure how that's going to work. I guess that I guess maybe the city's going to put up uh, some free housing for the homeless to stay in until the uh, the rain passes through. But it's it's pretty bad. I mean, it's there are two things that make it particularly bad right now, and that is it's cold, really cold, like wintry cold, even though it's uh, near the start of spring. And the other thing is the rain. So the two of those together. It's a pretty miserable situation if you have to ride public transportation because you just end up being soaked and frozen. But now, but now, Alex, uh, California has been under a severe drought uh, problem for many years. You've had the snow. You've had now the the rain. Uh, is this water actually accumulating and going into your reservoirs, or is it just sort of like? Uh, sort of working off the ground and not really being absorbed into the system so that eventually you can utilize it for your crops and utilize it for your drinking water? I haven't heard any official news, but looking around at all the water puddles, I'm pretty sure it's going into the reservoirs. I mean, it's building up. And and in fact, uh, some of the water is, is collecting in some of these parking spaces that makes it kind of, kind of risky to drive your car. But actually, I wanted to add one other comment to your earlier comment about uh, about the ethics thing. So there is a – in addition to Altman, I think Elizabeth Holmes should be uh, imprisoned as well because she defrauded so many people. But what's unusual about uh, 
uh, Holmes is that it turns out that the uh, Hoover Institute uh, is somehow tied to all this because in, among the board of direct uh, among the directors and the board of directors, every one of them except for one was affiliated with the Hoover Institute. So that makes it really. Um, I would think that that would damage the credibility of that institution, but no one seems to be talking about it. No, uh, abs- I think that that- absolutely. Uh, not only was Elizabeth uh, Holmes a fraudster, and, you know, she was the entrepreneur talking about if you take a simple blood test, we can tell everything about your 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 medical situation now and in the future. You know who was constantly at her court uh, proceedings Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey was begging that she not be incarcerated. I mean, she ripped off thousands and thousands of people, I think, uh, of a company, Theranos. I forget the name of it. But she had people believing you could take a simple blood test like we we say often because our our colleague here, Bernard McGurk, died of uh, prostate cancer because he didn't get a simple blood test, a prick of the finger, and then they smear it on a little... Uh, a little glass, and then they do a test, a PSA test. But that's for prostate uh, cancer. What she was saying is that you could do that same thing, and they could test you for any particular disease, both now and in the future. And it could, it, it could basically, it's like one-stop shopping. And it turned out absolutely to be fraudulent. And who's going? Who's going every day to appeal for leniency for her? But Cory Booker, the U.S. Senator in New Jersey, he's done the same thing for Bobby Menendez, the most crooked of all crooked U.S. Senators. He was always going to his trial. It's almost like he's turned this into a cottage industry. I think Cory Booker's uh, link to uh, Elizabeth Holm was probably through Stanford University, as he was also a graduate from the same university. Ah, that's, so that's right. That's right. He was a NCAA, I think, uh, tight end. Uh, for Stanford in uh, football did quite well, but you're you're absolutely correct on that. I didn't even think of that. So I think I think the lesson in all this is that just because a person is rich or has an elite education, it doesn't somehow imply that he's a decent person. Decency is something that is independent of those factors, and uh, and these people, and especially Holmes, and it just completely. Uh, they have a level of dishonesty which is extremely regrettable. And uh, now, in your and, neck of the woods in Silicon Valley, how badly did she defraud uh, colleagues, friends, and others? Um, I mean, I, I I probably read the same information that you guys uh, out in New York read uh, uh, with regards to Holmes. I don't have a, an inside track on her her behavior, but uh, but one thing I can say is that. Uh, she managed to finagle or to somehow convince uh, all these people at the Hoover Institute to back her company. And the, the reason is, and this is a sad statement on the Hoover Institute, because she was attractive and she was a woman and, and perhaps her politics meshed with theirs. And so then they backed her up all the way. And it's this process of where uh, I'm going to support this person because my friend at the same Hoover Institute supports her. So therefore it's a, it's this kind of people connection, but none of these people actually have knowledge of the, of the actual technology or the chemistry. These are all guys who are in politics 
who, whose background was had nothing to do with with STEM, and so uh, their sole basis for making the, their decision to support her was based on her looks, the way she talked, and po- very possibly her politics. And that is a very sad statement. Yeah, well, I think uh, Rupert Murdoch had invested about $120 million into uh, Theranos, her company, and took a bath on that along with others. I think Henry Kissinger was on her board of directors. Yeah, I don't know. She had a lot of prominent people. You're absolutely correct. Uh, she used a lot of what I call verbal technology and really had yeah. no product whatsoever, had no service whatsoever. It was all a smokescreen. And Murdoch, Murdoch and Kissinger very likely also knew the people at the Hoover Institute. They're all somehow connected together. So because they all they all work, they're all together in the same social circles. So they get to know each other, and then and then and they see George Schultz introduce uh, Elizabeth Holmes as a as a decent, wonderful person, and they said, "Well, that's good enough for me. You know, you've got the backing of George Schultz. He works at the Hoover Institute, so I'm going to go back you up." With money, yeah, and plus uh, the Walton family, one of the richest family in the world, they sunk a, a lot of dough into that. No, it was a huge scam. So imagine, out of your Silicon Valley area, you've had the two biggest scamsters uh, in the past uh, ten years since Bernie Madoff. So you have FTX, the Sam guy, Bankman. He's from Stanford, that whole area there. Uh, although he went to MIT. And then you have uh, this woman here who uh, ripped off millions and millions and millions of dollars from investors all over the world. As uh, you know, they were saying that Elizabeth Holmes, she's like the next Steve Jobs. You know, she's uh, she's on top of the world. And, you know, just because you may attract the brightest, just because educationally you may have achieved um, uh, academic accomplishments doesn't necessarily mean you're not a fraudster. And I think uh, with Sam Bankman-Fried and uh, with uh, Elizabeth Holmes, that was certainly evident. But appreciate your call, Alex, and the update from California, which has gone from snows down in Southern California, very unusual, down in the San Bernardino area. In fact, I and Nancy were watching a telecam of two eagles nesting uh, and the snows which normally don't hit that area, clobbered that nest so much so that it covered the female uh, bald eagle who had the two eggs. And the female bald eagle had to sort of work her way out of the snowdrift and then would take terms with the male bald eagle uh, nesting the eggs. Unfortunately, the eggs did not hatch, not because of the weather, but because of that uh, bird flu that is spreading amongst um, colonies of birds, not just uh, bald eagles, but other birds all over the country. So whether they happen to be chickens, whether they happen to be turkeys, whether they happen to be bald eagles, whether they happen to be birds uh, that are in the process of uh, flying uh, south and migrating, it's having a devastating effect. Our number is one 800 848 that's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one.
knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Nighttime would find me in Rose's Cantina, music would play and Felina would whirl. Blacker than night were the eyes of Felina, wicked and evil while casting a spell. My love was deep for this Mexican maiden I was in love but in vain I could tell One night a wild young cowboy came in Wild as the West Texas wind Dashing and daring a drink he was sharing With wicked Felina, the girl that I loved so in anger, I challenged his right for the love of this maiden. Down with his hand for the gun that he wore. My challenge was answered in less than a heartbeat. The handsome young stranger lay dead on the floor. Out through the back door of roses I ran. Out where the horses were tied. I caught a good one, it looked like it could run Up on its back and away I did ride Well, I have a feeling as as This is not the kind of music you're going to hear To a Tony Orlando without Dawn Or Cousin Brucey or even his protege, Vinnie Madugno But you hear it with your truly Curtis Sliwa Because it conflates with the subject matter of what we're talking about, all these warmongers who want to start lobbing cruise missiles into Mexico. And I'm scratching my head and saying, what the hell are you talking about? You really think you're going to take out the laboratories and manufacture the fentanyl? And then they mule it in across the border. Didn't you realize it was coming into the belly, into this country through the belly of ships coming in from Red China? Are you going to stop every ship? Are you going to stop every cargo container and search it? You realize how many trucks come across Mexico that are driven by Mexican drivers? They no longer stop at the border and uncouple and then have to await for an American teamster to drive it the rest of the way, as used to exist before NAFTA, with the North American Free Trade Association Agreement signed uh, by Bill Clinton, who originally was opposed to it during his campaign for the presidency, had an epiphany and decided to be in favor of it, and then sent his vice president, Al Gore, onto the Larry King show to do battle with Ross Perot, who made that one of many issues that he went to uh, the mats over. And Vice President Al Gore wiped the deck with Ross Perot in that debate, and that was it for the opposition and after. But because of NAFTA, you have all that truck traffic coming across the border from Mexico into the United States. Remember, Mexico is our second largest trading partner. All kinds of things that come out of Mexico. And are you going to stop each and every 18-wheel tractor trailer and search it from top to bottom? Physically impossible. 
commerce would come to almost a stop. And that would have a negative impact on business. Likewise, with ships coming into our ports, stacked with those cargo containers, only one out of every 50 can actually be checked for contraband. And uh, that leaves a lot of leeway to be able to smuggle fentanyl, uh, methamphetamines, and other drugs into this country. Sure, we may catch some of the illegal drugs coming in, but most will get through. And again, the United States uh, is creating the marketplace because of our insatiable appetite to get stoned. And the Mexican president, uh, although he is to the far, far left, a socialist, somebody who is actually contemplating legalizing all drugs because he's basically said, no mas, no mas, we just can't control this, the narco-terrorists are destroying our country, let's just legalize it, take the profit out of it, and then maybe the narco-terrorists will no longer have the strength that they presently have. His name, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. I don't trust people with three names, and he's got four. But he does make a very good point. Why don't we here in the United States temper the constant increase in drug consumption, both legal and illegal? He's absolutely correct. But then again, that's not going to stop the warmonger, Lindsey Graham, who uh, utilized the term... They got us involved with Saddam Hussein in Iraq when we were looking for weapons of mass destruction that we still haven't found. Remember how Vice President Dick Cheney made the argument. Bush 43. And then they sent their emissaries to the General Assembly of the United Nations. It was General Colin Powell who had uh, grown up in the South Bronx. He was a Chavez Goy. That's right, Chavez Goy like Elvis Presley in Tupelo, Mississippi. But he went to Morris High School, and then he went to City University. Then there was George Tennant, head of the CIA for both Bill Clinton and for Bush 43. He grew up in Astoria, went to Bronx High School of Science. I think his brother was a dentist. And so he was side-by-side side with Colin Powell as they made their argument to the world body in the General Assembly that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> We're still looking. But listen to what Lindsey Graham had to say, how he uses that same verbiage. Is he kidding? He's calling fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. Fentanyl is up to 10,000 times more lethal than the dose, dose of morph morphine. Fentanyl is a weapon of mass destruction. 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 A weapon of mass destruction? Where did we hear that before? When Dick Cheney was banging the drums for war and completely created this image that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, which he never had. And by the way, if he had them, they were either destroyed or they were gone because we haven't found not any evidence whatsoever that there were weapons of mass destruction stored in Iraq. Simply stated, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. There is no doubt that he is amassing them to use them against our friends, against our allies, and against us. 
simply stated there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. Remember? There Remember no when he doubt. said that over and over, how I got bamboozled, how you all got bamboozled? There were very few who stood up and said, no, we shouldn't be going to war. This is specious. This is just fueling the military-industrial complex. Our own Bernard McGurk no longer with us. Uh, I remember when he was on Imus in the morning, both on TV and radio, each and every day, Monday through Fridays, he stood up. He got a lot of derision, a lot of hate when he said we should not be invading Iraq looking for weapons of mass destruction. He was one of the few. He was correct. I wonder if anybody before he passed on to the hereafter ever apologized to him for all the nasty things they said about him, questioning his patriotism, his loyalty, his sanity. And it turned out he was one of the few. He was right, and so many of us were wrong. But then again, it's like we haven't learned anything. Earlier on Friday, Brian killed me in his nationally syndicated show, said he wasn't satisfied that the Gulf cartel had apologized for kidnapping the four Americans to the day killed, to the day injured, that we would have to do more. I believe that when he Graham comes out and says it's time to start rocketing the cartels, next thing you know, they actually apologized for killing two of our people and kidnapping the other two. I say apology not accepted. What? Not accepted? What, what do you expect to do, Brian? Kill me? Lob cruise missiles into Mexico? But he wasn't alone. The war drums were being beaten on a regular basis here on WABC in the name of Bill O'Reilly. On this Friday, we are still waiting for President Biden to comment on the two African-Americans killed by Mexican cartel thugs. I guess the president is mulling over a response. Mulling over a response. And again... These four who left South Carolina and went uh, through Brownsville, Texas, boarded town on the American side, and then went into Matamorosa uh, on the Mexican side, supposedly three men and one woman to uh, accompany her while she got a tummy tuck. I don't buy that. I really don't buy that. I think because when you look at the four, the two who were killed, the two who were injured, all of them had... uh, Records for drug dealing back in South Carolina. My bet is they went south of the border from Brownsville, the men of to actually uh, score some drugs there and avoid the middleman back in uh, South Carolina. They didn't need a middleman. If they could have successfully transported the drugs of whatever it was they were selling across the border, they would have eliminated the uh, middleman and made far more money on whatever they were selling, whether it was methamphetamines, whether it was heroin, whether it was fentanyl, whether it was marijuana, uh, whether it was uh, oxys, whatever it is that they were selling. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But O'Reilly was basically saying, do something, Joe Biden, do something. It's so strange and frustrating, especially if you or family members have been victimized. Do something, Joe Biden. Don't just sit there. What do you want him to do? Lobbing cruise missiles? You want him to send Marines down to the East Coast to Veracruz and invade Mexico like we did decades ago? You want him chasing a brand new generation of Pancho Villas and their uh, 
their uh, their militia as they're smoking uh, weed, la cucaracha, because that's really what the song is about. It's not about cockroaches doing military maneuvers on the ground. It's uh, smoking roaches as they were fleeing from Blackjack Pershing, who had been sent to destroy them as they fled the border with New Mexico and went deeper into uh, Mexico proper itself as Blackjack Pershing and the American troops were seeking them down only to find bupkis, ugats. And then, of course, there was Mark Levin who put it all within context of what I said originally, creating uh, in our minds here in America the quinella of the axis of evil. Uh, Let Mark Levin explain it. Because the Democrats are so invested in not investing in the United States military and the proper use, I repeat, the proper use of law enforcement, that they're not sure that we can successfully go after the cartels in Mexico, plus do what we're doing to prepare, at least somewhat, for China, Iran, support Ukraine. And if we don't muscle up our military and muscle it up quickly, well, I fear what's going to happen to your children and grandchildren, quite frankly. Madonamai, banging the drums of war. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Santana, yes, boy, he has spanned the decades. Mexican, I think he went up to San Francisco. That's where he uh, spent his growth period, developed his band there, and then traveled the world. Well, one time he was uh, flirting with the uh, being a disciple of Sri Shamoy, which is. Right up there near Hillcrest uh, High School, they had a whole colony there. You never quite understand that. Carlos Santana and Sri Shamoy. There's like, there was much of a mix there. I could not figure that out for the life of me. And then eventually spending a little bit of time in the Lower East Side. And I remember he and uh, his bandmates getting dragged off to the Ninth Precinct and got arrested. I guess he got into some kind of a, a fight at a party at their flat. Uh, as he was being released with his bandmates, I was being uh, brought in and arrested for like the umpteenth time at the Ninth Precinct in the Lower East Side, just north of where the Hell's Angels had their headquarters on Third Street. They're no longer there. They sold the property, made millions, and I think they bought a VFW hall up in the neck in Throgsneck. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Dave, who's calling from Asbury Park. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, Curtis. What's going on, brother? 
Nothing much. Yeah, we spoke a few times. Uh, yeah, I'm a truck driver, and the last job that I used to work for last year, I'm not going to say the company, but uh, they used to warn us all the time that if you ever go to one of these border towns or if you ever have to cross the border, always check your truck. If you stop for a second to use the bathroom, always check your truck. You got to flat check your truck. No matter what, check your truck, because what they do is, they have professional people that scope you out. They scope out your moves when you come or whatever, and they'll follow you. Strap whatever they want under your truck. Wait till you get to your next stop. The whole time you're riding dirty, you don't even know it. Mm. That actually happened to somebody that I know, but coming from Canada. Um, and it was uh, marijuana. He actually got stopped, and they actually found him. And uh, he didn't get in trouble because they kind of – you know, knew what it was, and he had cameras all across his truck, so he was able to prove that, you know, somebody else put it there. But, uh, um, and another thing, I usually agree with you with everything. I listen to you every time you're on, man. Well, now, you you the, drive uh, what kind of a truck? I drive a uh, tractor-trailer. All right, so tractor-trailer, of which there are many that cross uh, from Mexico into the United States. Because of NAFTA, they are driven uh, by Mexican drivers who will take them to their final destination. Uh, It would be impossible with all the trucks out on the road just here in terms of where you're driving to suddenly stop and check what is inside of your commercial truck. I mean, there are like 7 million trucks that come in from Mexico into the United States each and every year. Could you imagine having to stop and check all their cargo? You know what? You, you, you're right. But I feel like the only way to put a dent in things is to, like, really go hard on any issue that's relating to drugs. Even, even use, possession, throw a book at them. The, the skips, fear is what these people understand. You understand? Like, I've, 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 and I'm not going to act like I'm an angel. I've been to prison for drugs before. And I'm telling you right now, I will never even touch a cigarette after the time that I've done. Mm. That hardcore training that's deep in your conscious and, and, and realizing, like, you know, it, it's not worth it. It, it. I say it works for everybody. Well, like, for, for instance, uh, while you're sitting in your cell there and thinking about what it is that got you behind bars, you obviously decided you weren't going to go back. But I'm sure there were a number of other folks you were incarcerated with who were already scheming and plotting to get back into the drug game. Of course. Of course. It, 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 it takes I, – I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It, it, it just takes – it takes time because at, at some point in your life, you're just going to get tired of it. I know people who's been gone for years, come home 50-something years old, 60-something years old, they're tired of it. I know guys that came home 19, 20 years old. It's like, I'm tired of it. it, it's all, it, it you, you have your time. It will place with everything. It just, it, one day, everything just snaps. And you realize, you know what, it's so much easier to wake up legit than have to worry about looking over your shoulder every two seconds. Trust me. Mm. Mm. And what was uh, what would you say was the worst part of that experience you had in dealing drugs? 
the worst, what, as far as, like, going away from it? From it? No, just, uh, you know, in terms of in the total time that you spent, in the, to the time that you dedicated your life to uh, dealing drugs, what was, like, the worst time where it was like, uh-oh, look out? Uh, probably uh, when I was, when I got caught. Uh, and, and I'm not going to, you know, play like I'm an angel or anything like that or just downplay it all. But um, I, it, most, most of my life, that's what I was doing. I thought I was smarter than everybody else. I never got caught. Mm. Never got caught. And, um, you know, one day just took a friend, a really good friend, you know, and, and then you just, you just start realizing things. You know, it's not worth it, man. Like, you can't trust anybody. Uh, things are not like how they used to be. It's so much easier to hedge your life in the right direction. It's so much easier. I would save more money doing what I'm doing now than having thousands of dollars in my pocket every day. And I would think uh, you're far more relaxed, as you had pointed out, not always having to look over your back. Of course. Of course. It just, it just brings uh, mental peace, for lack of a better word. Now, with your job now that you're rolling in a tractor trailer, do you ever run across the people you used to run with and deal with? Oh, <laughs> all the time. That's funny you said that. I ran into one tonight. It's actually one of my bunkies. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's actually one of my bunkies in prison. I ran into him tonight, and he was driving trucks. Hmm. And uh, have you run in? Uh, have you run across others over the years? Yep, I run into people who look like burnt out cigarettes, man. Wow. Uh, do you th- on top of the world? Do you think uh, they have any chance, or they're just going from drug spot to drug spot? Man, I. I, I... I can't. I can't say for sure. It all. It all depends on the, your support system, man. If you got people depending on you, that 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 will definitely play a big part in the equation. Man. So it's, that was one of the reasons that I was able to get where I'm at today was just very strong support system. I was like, you know what? I'm from a Haitian family, man. You know how it is. <laughs> Sure. I'm from a Haitian family. I'm the only one in my family that ever went through this. It was more of a, a shameful thing. Like, I was putting shame on my name. Mm. You know what I'm saying? On my, mm. on my last name was very shameful. Like, shame was, like, <laughs> was bigger than, than anything else, you know? Oh, no, understood. Now, when you were in jail, you probably came across people who had drug problems themselves was that the best thing for them because they had limited access to uh, drugs in the joint? No. Yeah. No. People were actually getting higher than a kite. Let me explain something to you about the state of New Jersey. When I was in there, they started off this suboxone program, right? Sure. So um, they had me on a farm, and they it was a... Uh, one side was a new barracks they built. The other side was old barracks, all right? Cleared the old barracks out, put bunks in it, and used that as a place to, uh, I don't want to say house, but to keep the, you know, the people that were had drug habits and stuff like that in there. Yes. The messed up part about it is they would try to put anybody on Suboxone. I told them one time I had a headache and I couldn't sleep. You want Suboxone? 
uh, what was your drug of choice on the street? Marijuana. You want Suboxone? So you go, you come home with a habit. <laughs> it's it's not it's not only just people just out here socially doing drugs. It's some of these facilities that's turning people into, you know, uh, I don't want to say drug fiends, but you know what I mean, like uh, drug users. Yes. It's it's a, it's a lot of these facilities. Doctors. Um, my father-in-law got hooked on pain meds from his from his doctor, personal doctor. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's a lot of stuff at play that makes America so hungry for these, you know, vices. So now what what keeps you from dabbling back, uh, from fading back into that life? I got family, man. I got a mortgage to pay. I got a beautiful family. I got a grandson. I'm good. Now, do you expect uh, one day to tell uh, uh, the young ones in your extended family what kind of a life uh, you had when you were on the edge? Yes, sir. I have no shame in it. No shame in it at all because I like for them to see, like, the turnaround. My biggest thing is I came home and I beat most people in doing the right thing to be successful, then, like, the whole time that I was in there, I came home and did things they, 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 they just didn't, couldn't, couldn't comprehend. Like, how the hell did you come home? You have all this stuff already. Like, you, you I have a boiler's license. I have uh, my CDL. I have, I had all these degrees and certificates that I got as soon as I came home. Mm. And and, it, and people were just like, and wow. And I'm like, yo, it, it's not that hard. And I, I, it, it takes a certain type of person, man. It takes a certain type of person. That's all I can say. Not everybody can now, do that. Now, know? it's my contention. You know, we like to blame all these foreign countries for producing the drugs and then shipping them into the country. But to me, it always starts uh, with us, the Americans. We just love to get high. We love to get stoned. And if we hear of a different drug that gives us a different high, right away, whoever provides the drugs to us, we're asking them. It's almost like a consumer asking for a new product. Uh, as long as we create this demand and are constantly demanding drugs and different kind of drugs, they're going to keep supplying us. Yep. Yeah, but you notice that's an American problem, correct? Absolutely. It's always been our problem. It's always been our problem. We, we blame everybody else. Yeah. There's people in third world countries that can choose to get high. There's people that's poor as dirt that can choose to get high. They don't have to buy the conventional drugs. They can go home and take a bottle of Lysol, put in a towel, and puff to death. But people don't. It, it's, 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 it's people out there that are more worried about providing for the family and food on their plate than they are to get hot. It's an American thing, man. It's just, it's always going to be an American problem. It's sad to say that it's going to take a while before it gets better, man. Like, when when you say uh, uh, things get worse before it get, it, it get better, we're at, we're, at, we're at its worst. How can it get worse than this? Well, unfortunately it will, because more drugs will come down the pipeline more people will be looking for a better high than their last high. And we Americans have an insatiable appetite to get stoned. Uh, and as long as Americans have the money, the wherewithal in their pockets and are willing to spend that hard-earned money, there will always be vendors and providers. 
And if it ain't Mexico, it's going to be another country, whether it's Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, some country in Africa, wherever it might be, they will supply what our demand is. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. What a great jam. Sing it, James Brown. Sing it. CEO in the back. Yeah. 
Everybody wants to come to America. Ten thousand, hundreds of thousands, millions. Could you imagine if they all were diddy bopping into the country to this tune by James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One? So good. Oh, sure you do. As do illegal aliens pouring in and invading our country because they're getting benefits that even those born and raised here in America ain't getting. We'll get into that momentarily. But there are a lot of phone calls right now. And remember, you got to stick with me till the break of dawn. There's no vacillating. There is no half stepping. You got to go the whole nine yards till the break of dawn. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. Let's go to Trevor, who's calling from Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Trevor. Hey, what's going on, Curtis? How are you? I've had better days. Hey, uh, I just wanted to say, too, I'm actually from uh, Dayton, Ohio. And I moved up to New York, and I actually went back not too long ago, and it made me think a lot, um, actually, because the people there had told me that actually heroin had dried up. There is no heroin in or around that place whatsoever. All they can get is fentanyl. And somebody I know went there, and they had told them that they were the first person in two years to test positive for heroin in around Dayton, Ohio, because it is not there. And they were talking about it earlier. And uh, I really think that it's going to be the downfall of our country because, you know, you're crippling the youth and it's going to be a slippery slope coming from China. Well, think of it, uh, Trevor, it's cheaper to make than to have to process the poppies that you have to grow, and then you have to harvest them, then you got to bring them into a laboratory, and then you have to create, in this case, what you talked about, heroin, the drug. Then remember, we created the alternative to heroin, which was methadone, methadone maintenance. Mm-hmm. People would take methadone, and they might be able to function. Now we have this new drug that's a hell of a lot cheaper than heroin, far more potent. You can make it in a laboratory. You don't need to grow anything. And so it's just another one of the many drugs that have come down the pipeline. And you may have seen recently, Trevor, that addicts, uh, strung out addicts, are using animal tranquilizer, a specific animal tranquilizer that will act in their system like Ebola, the flesh-eating virus, and eat their flesh. And yet they'll... Crocodile. Right. They'll still shoot it up. Still Mm -hmm. shoot it up. Then they're doing that in Ohio, too, because the opiate problem out there and... The problem with fentanyl is, too, is that it's a shorter half-life. So it only lasts about six hours before you start going into a withdrawal. And so these guys cannot function at all. 
And so that's why I said it's going to become a problem later because the the withdrawal is so bad mm. and the drug does not last at all. If you do it at 12 o'clock noon, by 6 o'clock in the afternoon, you are having a full-on withdrawal. Mm. Mm. And like I said, with all the problems that we're facing now with China and blah, 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 you know, it's just another thing that is going to hurt us in the long run. And I don't know how you can get it out because you're going to get everybody hooked on it. Like I said, it's more addictive. You know, it's stronger. It's Well, you know, what comes around goes around. There was a time where China, uh, which had more people than anywhere else in the world, was going through its boxer rebellion as they were trying to establish their own identity. And in the Western world, we included, along with the Brits, the Germans, the Russians, the Japanese, uh, were making money by forcing uh, the opium on the mm-hmm. Chinese people. They rebelled against that. They they had a rebellion. They, they wanted the Western countries out. Uh, the families of the Roosevelts, specifically FDR, were making money hand over fist in the opium trade, forcing opium on the people in Red China. They had the opium dens. They had people addicted mm-hmm. to opium. And so uh, now all of a sudden the roles are reversed. Exactly. And we don't, we don't like it. But then again, Americans have this insatiable appetite to get high and stoned. And if all of a sudden... And I've argued with uh, people on this very airwaves here at WABC, Trevor, because I know in talking to dealers that some of their best customers will come up to them and say, look, I don't want that regular P-dope, man. Do you got any fentanyl? Because I hear it gives me the it'll give me a bigger buzz. And they're actually asking for fentanyl. Yes. And the problem is now is I know people up here that it's the same exact exactly what you were saying, but they're putting it in things like cocaine and crack because they get high and then they'd hit a super low. And then, you know, it's so addictive that they would think that that's the best. And so they would only go back to that person who has that. And what I really wanted to ask you is, do you think this is premeditated that this is, Almost kind of like, uh, I don't know what you want to go, like a long-term attack on us? Or like, No, no, because, uh, Trevor, if we look at the history of, let's just say, heroin, mm-hmm. uh, it was brought in to the United States by the Italian mafia. Uh, first, the poppies were grown, like in Afghanistan and other places, really? brought to be processed in the mills in Marseille, France, and in Sicily, and then brought in the uh, bellies of ships to the ports. And then remember, the concept of the Italian mafia was, okay, we're going to sell this only to black people, African-American people. Right. Uh, and at first, it, have a, it had a devastating impact in the black community, but it spread from the black community to other communities, mostly the white community. And you developed a whole legion of junkies in the white community, not just the poor and impoverished hillbillies or those who were living in trailer parks. And then it worked its way into the middle class, the upper middle class, the wealthy. And so what I think we have here is... A situation where it's simple capitalism. 
supply and demand. Mm -hmm. If there's a demand, there's always going to be somebody out there trying to create the supply. Uh, And I think uh, we just have to look internally and say, hey, look, we're the number one consumers of these drugs, whether they're legal drugs and we get addicted or they're illegal drugs and we get addicted. And so we got to figure out a way to knock this behavior off because all we're doing is creating an environment where if it's not Mexico that makes the fentanyl or red China, another mm-hmm. country will do it. They, they'll, they'll fill the void. And so the only thing I can think of is, you know, charge people like you do guns. Five years, you know, minimum if you get called a fentanyl. And I guarantee you it would be nobody would want to even touch it. Well, you could do one of two things. You could either really crack down and, as you said, incarcerate people for long periods of time, not just the sellers but the users, or you could just legalize it. This way, organized crime does not make any of the profits and pretty much accept the fact that a certain percentage of your population is going to be addicted and you just give it to them. Right, and I would totally agree with you on any other drug except for fentanyl because it is so addicting that, you know, you can go into the store and you can try, you know, most people wouldn't go into a store and be like, hey, I don't do crack or heroin, but let me try it today. But fentanyl, in case they ever did that, they would get addicted to it. And the next thing you know, like they're hooked on it. So I just think that it's a one of the worst things like on this planet i really do feel like it it's an evil evil substance oh no there's no doubt but i think uh what it'll have to do is a combination is more and more places are going to legalize these drugs we're already seeing canada now start to legalize cocaine i think mexico at some point is probably going to legalize all drugs or the narco terrorists are going to run rampant uh through uh most uh, parts of the country, they're going to be the controlling element in most parts of the country. They may have to actually opt out in order to gain back control. Uh, but I think you got to create the the blockages in a person's body. So if they get injected or if they snort it or they smoke it, whatever the, the drug of choice is, that you are – you're uh, – it creates a nausea in you so that the body rejects it. If the body gets nauseous and the body seems like it's going to throw up, the body after a period of time is not going to want that drug. It's going to resist that drug as opposed to lust for the drug. But clearly there is no one answer to how to do it. I just know that incarceration uh, to the sellers and the users is just not the answer. The, the, where there's a will, there's a way. And when they have an addiction, they're going to want that drug. So uh, to get that drug, uh, uh, they're going to have to probably commit crime. They're not born independently wealthy where they can use their own money. They got to go out there and they got to wholesale up money. And oftentimes that means they got to loot. Uh, they got to shoplift. They got to boost products. They got to break into your cars. They got to steal anything they can get their hands on. I mean, they'd steal from their own mother, their own father, their own sisters and brothers, their own wives and husbands. Uh, it gets to that point. And then society may just have to say, hey, if you want drugs, we'll provide you the drugs. This way you're not robbing and looting and stabbing and shooting and becoming a menace to society. We may not like the results of a society that 
a certain percentage of our population are hopelessly addicted. But it may be the route we have to go. Because it seems some people just have an insatiable appetite to get high, to get stoned. And the only way they're ever going to get off that good foot is if they themselves just no longer can do it. And then they make up their mind they're going to shake it by almost any means necessary. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever wanted to seek out a college education, maybe I may have to jump the queue being a high school dropout. The Jesuits, having shined their boots on my backside of my senior year at Brooklyn Prep, no longer open in Crown Heights, 1972, the same year they closed their doors and kept over instead Fordham Prep, Xavier on 14th Street, and of course Regis which uh, disgracefully graduated Dr. Fauci, the Grim Reaper. Oh, we'll be talking about him in the upcoming days. I represent science. No, you don't. You represent Ugats. You represent Bubkis. Uh, everything you did and you talked about seems to be becoming unglued, and uh, it's just uh, becoming uh, a dogged sort of, uh, what can we call it, Damocles sword over your head, Fauci. Maybe you should take that sword and do what the Japanese disgraced CEOs or COOs or CFOs do when all of a sudden their business collapses. They don't blame anybody else. They just take that Ginzu knife, that Rambo knife, they stick it in their gut. They go, ah! I represent science. Why don't you meet Harry Carey? I'm sure there are a number of steak knives in your drawer at Casa Fauci. And in front of a video cam, so the whole world eventually can see it on a loop. Just take that steak knife, stick it in your belly button, and pull it up. And then just bleed out, Fauci. Because of all the nonsense you've left us with. Oh, my God, oh, my But... Think of it. You're seeking an educational opportunity. Just go south of the border. Declare yourself to be an asylum seeker. Cross over the border from Texas. From Mexico into Texas. Let's say from Juarez into El Paso. And when they're processing you on the American side, you say, I have only one desire, one desire only. And that is to go to Nueva York. And all of a sudden, Catholic Charities, which is ripped off to federal taxpayers to the tunes of millions and millions and millions of dollars, courtesy of the apologist Cardinal Dolan. They'll put you and you'll pound the hound and you'll go to the city of your choice. And in most instances, where do they want to go? New York. This is where all the benefits are. This is where you get the swag bag. This is where Mayor Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, make sure that you get a... Obama flip phone that you're hooked up so don't worry about it oh my god imagine you too can get a college education you too can be shipped up to Sullivan County the Catskills now I don't know if it's the Irish uh, 
Irish Himalayas. I don't know if it's the Jewish Himalayas. Make that the Irish Alps. But I know it's somewhere in Monticello, maybe near the old Trotter track. But the SUNY College, a two-year education for you illegals. It'll cost us $1.2 million. But as many liberals and progressives have said, this will be money well spent. Expect Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who said the inn is closed. Not even Jesus and Mary and Joseph can be permitted to come in the inn. But then again, if you're an illegal, we're going to bend over backwards for you. We're going to encourage you to go south of the border and to reroute yourself and come across the border once more, seeking a college education, and then they'll put you on that Greyhound bus at federal taxpayers' expense. You'll get blessed by Catholic charities, and the next thing you know, (laughs) you'll be up in Monticello, not far from the old charter track, getting a college education at the sucker taxpayers' expense in New York City to the tune of $1.2 million. Oof. Uh, our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ron in Michigan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ron. Good morning, Curtis. Curtis, last week uh, Frank brought up the fact that uh, – the major uh, publicity firms, the ones that uh, got us into the war with Iraq or Iran, where they said they were throwing babies out of the incubators, but it turned out that was a false, a, 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 it was a, a lie, you know. And the same, those uh, lobbying firms, they're doing it pro bono for Ukraine to give them this publicity, but but their military-industrial complex uh, uh, part uh Clients are making, you know, hand over fist, blood money. You can't, you can't uh, hold on to fast enough. You know, greasy thumb Jake uh, Guzak, he would have had a hard time even today with that much money flowing. <laughs> but, but, but I, 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 somewhere I heard that uh, Zelensky, you know, <clears throat> but you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Did you see her speech at CPAC when she said? Zelensky, you got all our money, you got all our weapons, but keep your hands off our men and women. You cannot have our soldiers. You know, I, I, you know, I don't agree with her on very much of anything. But with that, she's a hundred percent right. Number one, okay. And, and you leave out with this heroin trafficking that the Italians brought in. You know, they were they were perf- uh, fulfilling a need that heroin addicts had from the Civil War, where they were prescribed opium for their wounds in the Civil War, and the Italians, yeah, they brought it in in Sicily from from uh, into New Orleans, but it, it was a, it was again something that the American people already were craving. Okay, they needed it because our government, our warmongering government, you know, ha- just like they're trying to do whip us into this war, you know, it, and that's the side effect of of these wars. Like you, you say, heroin again. I remember the heroin epidemic in Vietnam. Thank you, CIA. And they're the main cheerleaders into this war with Iraq and Ru- Iraq and Ru- Russia and Ukraine. You know, it's it's a vicious circle, uh, Curtis. No, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, as you mentioned, Vietnam, where the heroin was pouring into our countries in the body bags of those men returning, who had given their lives in war for our country, a war that turned out to be a war that was manufactured, created, and embellished even further 
by Lyndon Baines Johnson through his uh, Gulf of Tonkin resolution uh, over an incident that never occurred. He made it up. He made it up. Our naval naval, uh, uh, personnel were not being attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin by PT boats uh, being operated by the North Vietnamese. He completely made that up. They passed the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, and we increased our numbers of men who went there to fight and die. And they're dying of Agent Orange today, Curtis, the ones that are left. There's so many problems, mental, physical, and you say to yourself, we're making the same mistakes, we're using the same terminology. You probably heard me play the cut of Lindsey Graham, probably the worst warmonger Mm -hmm. of all, referring to fentanyl now as a weapon of mass destruction. Where have we heard that before? And the dominoes are going to fall. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, every 20 years, it seems like it almost gives one generation a rest. We bamboozle one generation. We did it with Vietnam. Then we did it with Iraq. And now we're hunting to see where we're going to do it. Are we going to do it with Red China? Are we going to do it with Russia? Are we going to do it with Iran? Well, we've already done it with Iraq. We're going to do it with North Korea. And now we have the quinella of the axis of evil we've added Mexico to that. You know what I heard, Curtis? Zelensky was trying to get on one of those award shows that's coming up because Bono was trying to get him on there. And they said, we want to keep this, you know, the politics out of it. You know, it, it it's just, you know, and, and that's all part of the publicity that uh, the these uh, advertising firms that are trying to drag us into this this war. It's well, it's, uh, actually, uh, uh, actually, Ron Zelensky wanted to be able to speak at the Oscars. Uh, he was not permitted to do so. I think that was the wise decision, uh, because uh, clearly. Uh, He's drumming up his propaganda every possible venue he can to get across his uh, propaganda. Uh, I think there was somebody who said, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him. We still haven't yet been able to determine what that means. I won't trust Zelensky as far as I could throw him. Uh, That was originally, if you remember, Judge uh, Weingarten said, I don't trust the Chinese as far as I can throw him. Uh, that'd be a pretty heavy lift. And by the way, what the hell does that even mean? I've yet to have someone who could actually explain. I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him. What the hell does that mean? It makes no sense. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
classic Alex Cooper used to hang himself from the yard on during his performances. Claims that he was drug free and dry. I tend not to believe that. And I don't think any of you do either. So let's go back to the phones. It's Bill in Middletown. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Thank you, Curtis. Man, you're the best. There's nothing like you on this planet. Let me tell you something. Today I heard a story that Poland's going to give MiGs to uh, Ukraine. Now, two people died in Mexico, and look at the uproar, Paul. If them MiGs get into Russia, Russia is going to come back at Ukraine, probably take the whole country. And I wouldn't want to be fighting Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think the catastrophic. I think the anger on the Ukrainian side would be such that if they could get more air power, whether it MiGs or um, American aircraft or French uh, aircraft or English aircraft, they would definitely go on bombing run sorties into Mother Russia itself. That's why you don't want to give them any planes because that would really right. escalate things. Sure it is, man. And Poland's talking about doing it. What are they out of their minds? They want another hundred billion. They want another hundred billion out of us. They took twelve hundred out of my Social Security this year. They took a hundred dollars out of my. I got run over by a truck, Curtis. They took two thousand dollars out of my money this year. You know it's incredible. My father was on the Carolina, eight battle stars. My brother did forty-seven years tank mountain. My other brother was in the Tonkin Gulf. The rumor was eight beluga whales and a Chinese junk. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> eight beluga whales and, and a Chinese junk. Back. And that's why we escalated the war in Vietnam. The rumor was eight beluga whales and a junk. Hmm. Hmm. And I... then my brother went down and got the Pueblo back. He did double tours to keep my brother out of the foot war. Oh, yeah. My oh, brother yeah. got drafted in the foot war while he was at a Nike site. Wow. Now, uh, did, he, did he survive the ordeal? Yeah, he was a uh, he was an F-4 Phantom Specialist mm. on the Eurisconian and Constellation. My brother's my hero. And my brother, my oldest brother's my hero, too. He was an M-1 Abrams Specialist. Mm. Mm. And now I'll tell you what. My father, all my uncles shook hands in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, man. They were cutting the breast off the women in the Philippines. My father and uncles, they left that day. My father got on to the uh, Carolina. Mm. Mm. He took it out to Sandy Hook, I think, and shot all nine guns at once. The Admiral said, what are you, nuts? He goes, well, it's going to come apart. I want to come apart now. Wow. Took three torpedoes, made it to Pearl. It's four knots. My mother thought my dad was dead for a month, Tokyo Rose. When it got to Pearl, they had a nose waiting. It was back at sea in eight, ten days. Wow. Three torpedoes. They hit it with nine salvos. They had a, a biplane on the Carolina. But this thing in, in, in Ukraine and Russia, this is a, a, a game. And it's a bloody game, you know. And anybody who's going to go and uh, uh, launch onto 
drug dealers, whatever they were doing over there. He's out of his mind. Has he ever been in a war scene? Has he ever shot a gun? No, I'm Lindsay telling you, uh, I'm telling you, Lindsey Graham, he just, uh, he's a warmonger. When John McCain was alive, he and uh, Joe, Joe Lieberman, they would travel the world looking for a war to start up. Remember, they went to Libya and they said, we have to support the rebels against Muammar Gaddafi. It turned out the rebels were the Muslim Brotherhood. How did that work out? They went to northern uh, Syria. They met with the rebels there. They said, we have to support the rebels against Bashir Assad, the butcher of uh, Damascus. Turned out they were ISIS sympathizers. How did that work out? They wanted war in Iraq. They got their war in Iraq for weapons of mass destruction. We're still looking for them. They want a war against Iran. They want war everywhere. And Lindsey Graham's the only surviving member still in the Senate, and he still beats the drums of war. Let's go to Michael's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hi, Curtis. I'd like to know if we could continue with the fentanyl uh, topic. Of course, of course. Whatever's on your mind. Well, this is the experience my wife and I are going through. In 2007, she got injured on the job. So she goes see this painkiller doctor, and he gives her a lollipop. This was the first way they introduced everybody with that lollipop. I I don't remember how many micrograms it was. Could have been 20 or smaller. And so he introduces her to the to the lollipop, and then over a period of maybe five years, he put the patch. She started her with the patch. She went to the patch. She went from like twenty five, I think thirty seven and a half, then seventy five, and then at one point we saw a neurologist, and the neurologist told the pain doctor, "What are you doing? That's an opium. You can't give that to her. She has multiple sclerosis." They fired the uh, neurologist. Because he, she warned, you know, she warned her about the uh, about the fentanyl, and then he said, "Well, if this isn't helping you, maybe you should take it every two days." So he had her on seventy-five micrograms every two days, and then every time she had a symptom, oh, you'll have to see your primary. And I kept saying, "You're the one who gave her the drug. Why does she have to see her primary about the, the side effects?" She would talk about. It was affecting her breathing. Every time she got a side effect, oh, no, that has nothing to do with it. So the guy's actually lying to her, lying to us, you know, in the face. And it, and it just uh, – so – and then they wanted her to sign this document in – I guess it was about 2015. They wanted her to sign the document stating that, oh, uh, you have authorized us to give you fentanyl. But in 2007 – he didn't give us the document. So something happened in 2010 that had required all of them to sign over. And that would mean that she, she okayed the addiction. And she didn't know, she didn't know what she was getting to, into in 2007. So they, he did his best. Him and his staff did their best to abuse her, abuse my wife, so that she would have to leave that doctor's office. And then, thank God, we found another painkiller doctor. But they're the same. He, he he took her in after this guy, um, you know, uh, he got rid of her. He got rid of us, and then he, he didn't want to uh, uh, help or treat her anymore. And so we found another doctor, and then he, and, and at the time she was at 75 micrograms. 
So he said, well, why don't you, if you want to come off this stuff, take it every three days. Why are you taking it every two? So she started to take, she took it, uh, she started to take it every three days. We, we went down to, uh, we're down, we went down to 37, now we're down to 37 and a half micrograms on the patch every three days. But every three days, the third day, she is comatose. She can't do anything that third day because she, uh, she's withdrawing on the third day. When she increased her weight, it has an effect that now it doesn't affect her as much because she's increased on the weight. And every time, and her blood pressure, that's what's killing all these people too. They don't tell you that the blood pressure goes down and it, it, it treats blood pressure. So if you're, when you're on it, you, uh, your blood pressure is low. But as soon as you draw on it, the blood pressure goes sky high and people aren't aware of that effect. Now, uh, again, just for clarification, Michael, uh, she was yes. originally given uh, fentanyl by the pain management person. How did she react initially? Did it allow her freedom of movement, flexibility? Did she feel better when she first had the fentanyl patch? Yes, in the beginning, yeah. Yeah, she, she was feeling, uh, you know, it was helping her in the beginning. But as the increase dosage as they increased the dosage she was feeling the side effects it was affecting her breathing and it's a muscle it affects the muscles so it was going it gave her a heart condition now Mm. and they won't admit it you know they're saying uh, oh no no that has nothing to do with it uh and then like i said again he tells us go see your primary and it's like but you they don't and when you go to the office they don't take her blood it's like you're going to a pusher every every 30 days we're addicted to this thing. Every 30 days, we have to go to that doctor's office, and all he does is, how are you feeling? The same? Here's your prescription. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then one time we had a, a bad doctor over there. She was saying, well, uh, uh, I don't know what problem we were having with her. She says, well, uh, unless you get a COVID test, I'm not giving you your, your medicine. And they, this is what a pusher does. And these pain doctors aren't being made accountable for what they're doing. To, to us and it's every like i said every third day she's over here she's lying on the bed she can't do anything mm. she you know she's not aware of it she has multiples she has multiple sclerosis before she got on it yes and they didn't they they didn't understand it affects the brain it affects uh, you know the, the uh, it blocks it's a nerve blocker too in the brain she should have never been given it and so then i'm saying to myself well if he gave you 75 micrograms and now you're down to 37. Can you sue them for over-medicating a person? No, I don't think so. Uh-huh. It's kind of difficult because um, the medication initially was working. She wasn't having a negative reaction. Has she tried to stop taking the fentanyl? Well, we're down to 37 and a half on the patch. All right. Well, that's good. And, and the thing is, the, uh, we're afraid. We want to go down to 25. But we're afraid because the third day, she can't survive the third day withdrawal on the 37. You know, now, that's have, what we're has afraid she, of. Has she gone through the withdrawal from fentanyl at any period of this time? Um, just on the, every third day. All right. And I mean, what is what is the withdrawal like? Describe for me what the withdrawal is like. Um, boy, well, she's lying down. Uh, she can't get up. 
Um, she has, um, let me see if I can, how to describe it. I'm trying to remember uh, all the stuff that we're yeah, going you through. See, it's been, I, it's I, been I, 17 I, years. Yeah. It's 17 years she's on this path. Wow. That's what, you know. And what was it initially, what was the injury or what was it initially that caused them to prescribe the patch to her? A ruptured tailbone. Okay. All right. Well, that's, yeah. that hurts like hell. And it's not yes. easy and to what's heal. what's happening on the third day is the pain comes back double. Mm. You know, from, from, you know, because it's, you know, it's, it's wearing off. So the pain comes back double. It's going to, the pain shoots, she says, right to her brain. And then she gets so um, she she says she's um, oh boy how does she describe it? She says she's weak. Every third day she's weak that she can't uh, you know. Yeah, well the body and, remember the body is uh, used to cycling in and cycling out of the fentanyl. So uh, with the patch, it's the the body has become so used to normalizing it. I've had the patch myself uh, no longer, but when I was in pretty bad shape, and I must tell you, it uh, man, you got to be extraordinarily careful. It is a miracle drug. It can help deal with the most severe pain. You can actually get up and walk around, whereas previously you were all crunched up like a little ball of rubber bands that were tossed into the corner. And you were having horrific pain, uh, almost like the worst imaginable kind of rheumatism uh, or pain right in the marrow of your bone. You get a fentanyl patch and then all of a sudden you're functioning normally, but you can't, you can't go beyond what the prescription permits. And that's, this is where a lot of patients get in trouble because they start to self-medicate. They sort of say, well, uh, I'll take a little bit more. And uh, you really got to stick to the prescription because it can be a very dangerous drug. It can be a miracle drug or it can be a very dangerous drug. And there are a lot of Americans who just do not have the wherewithal to stick to taking the prescription as it was prescribed. Fentanyl is up to 10,000 times more lethal than the dose of morphine. Morphine. Fentanyl is a weapon of mass destruction. 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 Where did we hear this before? Weapon of mass destruction. Now all of a sudden he's tagged this on to fentanyl? Are you out of your mind, Lizzie Graham? They try to sell us on a war with Saddam Hussein in Iraq by talking about weapons of mass destruction that just did not exist. And now you're going to be upgrading fentanyl, methamphetamines into a weapon of mass destruction? Simply stated, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. There is no doubt that he is amassing them to use them against our friends, against our allies, and against us. Simply stated, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. Well, the one who doubted it, I must say, is uh, dearly departed uh, Bernard McGurk. His studio is named in his honor. Unfortunately, uh, he died at too early of an age because he didn't get a, a PSA test at the appropriate time. And his prostate cancer metastasized to his liver and it took him out within a year's period of time, and it was uh, 
very difficult period of time for Bernard McGurk. So as an advisory to everybody out there, Bernard McGurk stood up to Dick Cheney and Bush 43 and Colin Powell and George Tenen and all those that were preaching that we had to go to war against Saddam Hussein. We had to take him out because he was sitting on a trough of weapons of mass destruction that turned out to be specious, untrue. He was right. The rest of us were wrong. He caught the slings and arrows. People questioned his loyalty, his patriotism. Boy, he had a rough ride there for a while. But it's a cautionary tale because you just can't knee-jerk reaction. Every time America wants to go to war, you got to say, is there another alternative here? What do you want to go to war? Fueling the military-industrial complex led by Blackstone and others. Beware, General Dynamics. Beware if that's in their portfolio. Beware. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John calling in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Johnny? Curtis, good talking to you. Yes, John. Um, First of all, before I get to my question, you were talking about the Civil War. And... I know New York City had had an extensive trade with the Confederacy, and my guess is New York City would have been interested in succeeding along with the Confederacy. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. Right after South Carolina, which was at the end of 1860, the very next next group of people that wanted to secede from the Union was not Mississippi or North Carolina or anyone that we would think is synonymous with the Confederacy in the South. It actually was the New York mayor, Fernando Wood, who issued a shocking proclamation in January of 1861 that he wanted New York City to secede from the Union. We would have been the second to secede. What does that what does that make us appear to have been like but sympathetic to the South, wanting the South to win? Absolutely. And in fact, we did many things both during the American Revolution, where we were pro British, and during the uh Civil War, in which uh we were clearly sympathizing uh with the South and in many instances uh, actually doing damage to the Union's effort to repel the South, to win the war, and to undo slavery. So that was very sharp of you, very sharp of you, John, because nobody else got it. So uh, what I'd like you to do is stay on the line here. Well, that's not the reason why I'm calling. Ah, okay. The reason why I'm calling is I want to quickly discuss uh, Frank's anti-science attitude. Uh, He has said on the program he doesn't want to talk about science, and yet he has had on his program people who reject evolution, people who reject the reality of man-made climate change, even people who question vaccines. And on his Facebook group page, he's tolerated an astrologer from Phoenix who has two accounts in the group who has been condemning and making false accusations against the American Museum of Natural History and its senior astrophysicist, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. In Tyson's case, he called Tyson a pedophile because Tyson congratulated a nine-year-old black kid from Pennsylvania last month on TV who who just graduated from high school who wants to go on 
and pursue a career in astrophysics like his hero, Dr. Tyson. It, because of these reasons, I've had no choice, Curtis, but to inform the American Museum of Natural History and recommend that, A, they don't invite Kurt, uh, Frank to host any special events at the museum, and to allow its staff to appear on its program. Hmm. Wow. And, you know, he was probably looking forward to go to the Museum of Natural History, the Hayden Planetarium, maybe to have a sit down, you know, with his favorite person in the whole world, Captain Kirk. I don't think it's going to happen. And, in fact, I told several of Tyson's colleagues uh, one of whom is an old friend of mine from high school, and uh, one of them forwarded the recommendation on to the museum administration. No, no, and- that, that that's a solid thing to do because I know that uh, Frank secretly has been hoping that he'll be able to take to the stage at the Hayden Planetarium and uh, actually have a sit-down discussion with Captain Kirk as he had in Red Bank, New Jersey one night, and then uh, in uh, uh, Englewood, New Jersey, when he did it back-to-back, belly-to-belly. Obviously, the Hayden Planetarium would be a perfect place to do that. Right. Well, I told them about the snot nose, snot tissue incident with Chatner. Ah, Exactly. Any man that would pick up another person's snot tissue, stuff it in their pocket, and then refuse to give it back to William Shatner, who requested it and said, Frank, what'd you do with this snot tissue? You're going to keep it? What are you going to do? You're going to put it in a hermetically sealed bottle? You're going to look at it, sniff it, touch it? What are you going to do with it? Absolutely, you must prevent him from ever being able to sit on a stage with William Shatner at the Hayden Planetarium right off of Central Park West. That would be a double disgraziata, a double shanda. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Good morning, I'm Bob Brown, New York prosecutor. When you first heard this jam, Broadway Billy, you didn't think it was make whitey whiteys, especially from Scotland, right? Average white man, you probably thought, yo, it's got to be a trio. It's got to be a Quinella Brothers. 
No way the white boys could play it like this. Coming out of clubs right now, saying, man, that is a bad old jam. Never thought white boys would be playing the horn that way, like Maceo and the Mac. Average white band. Saw them and saw train Remember when Don Cornelius said, average white band from Edinburgh and Glasgow and Scotland pick up the pieces. Well, we're going to pick up the pieces because earlier on Friday I was substituting for my Kumbadi Cheech, Rudy Giuliani, from 3 to 4. He was in the middle of travel. And I was dropping bombs, I mean napalm, verbal napalm on James Golden if you can find that car that James Golden was talking about, if you can, Broadway Bill Lee, uh, about the fact that, oh, man, there's no road safe in Mexico, no highways, no byways, no back roads, nothing safe. It should be the last cut on one of those sheets in which James Golden was riffing so hard against the country of Mexico that is his own board operator, Diego whose um, country of origin is Mexico, just ran out of the studio, man. He couldn't take it. He said, man, this is uh, this is anti-tamale talk. Oh, man, it's anti-tamale talk. I thought that James Golden was writing the script for a new movie. You remember how you had Canadian bacon with John Candy, right, and Alan Alder. Remember, Alan Alder was the president. Things were going bad, so he, he had to do a... Uh, Wag the tail, not not with uh, Albania, but rather with Canada. We're going to invade Canada, right, with John Candy. Well, now James Golden is writing a new script. It's called Mexico Churros. If you're on the highway in Mexico, you are traveling on an unsafe road. No matter what highway you are, you are open to a threat. Now, I hope many of you, when you call him from 7 to 10 in just a few hours, you really drill down on him on that. 
Because that sounds like he wants to invade Mexico and turn it into the 51st state. Now I'm saying that movie ought to be Mexico Churros. Get all those women selling those churros out in the subways in the streets and deport them, lock them up. Anyway, so here it is. I was on as Rudy Giuliani Friday from 3 to 4. And so then I walked off to Studio B. And all of a sudden, James Golden was fired up. He was getting all this negative feedback because I basically told him, you couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. So he summoned me back on it. And as you know, Broadway, Billy and Avery, that is always a mistake to give me more talk time. Anyway, I haven't been to Mexico in many, many moons. 800-848. Is that Curtis? Okay, good, because I want to find out what is going on here with this. You know, Mexican highways are not safe. James didn't say it was in a news story. Oh, your poor, poor Diego, your board operator, ran out. He thinks that all of a sudden he's going to be taken in by uh, warmonger Lindsey Graham and brought out to Gitmo and waterboarded. What have you done, James Golden? What have you done? Well, Curtis, they tell me that, that somebody's telling me you better be warned. Curtis is going to take issue with you. Because you said that Mexican highways aren't safe. I was reading, I was citing some news story that I read that said every highway in Mexico, not safe for Americans. The last place you want to be is on a Mexican highway. I couldn't see how anybody could object to that news story. I mean, you don't think Mexican highways are safe, do you? Uh, James, there are 250 million cars and trucks and vans that go into Mexico each and every year from the United States. I got to tell you, uh, they are not in danger. This is all hype. This is fear, fright, hysteria, and hype to lob some cruise missiles into Mexico. You're going to follow Lindsey Graham. Remember, he wanted to go to war in Iraq, Iran. I, I don't follow Lindsey Graham anywhere. But what are you talking about, Curtis? He's for, these Americans just went down there and got killed. And you're talking about you. You're hold the on, guy that I on, expect to on, be. You are here. the guy that I expect to be all for safety. Yes, Bob, what is it? Curtis, you, like? are you saying the Mexican highways are safe or not safe? I'm sorry. 250 million vehicles go in and out of Mexico every year with Americans in it. Are you going to say that they're unsafe? And now we have spring break, and the FBI has told everybody, don't go to Cancun, don't go to Acapulco, don't go for spring break. Uh, Tell that to Ted Cruz, remember, who left two years ago, left Texas in a state of disarray when they had, uh, it was frozen, they had no electricity, and Ted Cruz said, i got to join my my family on spring break in Mexico. I just wanted to jump in because I'm, I'm personally tied to this just a little bit. Maybe I'm a little off the mark here. I've been to Matamoros. When I was working in South Texas, my wife and I took a took a ride down there. Across the border, it was like a rainy day. We're in Matamoros, going down Main Street, and I said, you want to get out of the car and walk around? And we both look at each other again and said, no, because I don't think I'm going to have a car to come back to if uh, we get out of the car here. So uh, just my little personal uh, experience yeah, with, with one the thing. roadways Curtis is- Curtis is Mr. New York. We don't see Curtis showing off his pictures on Instagram about how he's hanging out in in, in Mexico well, with the cartel me. guys excuse next to him. Excuse Heck me. No. Excuse me, James. Gold. I have guardian angels in Mexico City. I have them in Guadalajara. The leader of our group there is the Hulk Hogan 
of wrestling in Mexico, Vampiro. And by the way, you're more likely to get carjacked in Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Los Angeles, and Chicago than carjacked in Metamorso or Juarez or TJ or any of those border cities. You might be right. Yeah, and I'm not going to those places right. either. Who the hell wants to go to Chicago these days? By the way, you're going to go on spring break? Come on. Come on. The prices are right. Mojitos. You knock back a few mojitos. Curtis, Modelos. I remember when my daughter was doing the whole spring break thing. And I said to her, please, please do not go to Mexico. And that was even then. I, come on, did Curtis. She go? Really? Did she go? Of course she went. And did she, come back, o- did she come back okay? What's the point? The point is, is Look. that we want a war. First it was with Red China. Then we want it with Russia. Then all of a sudden we say, let's go after Iran, North Korea. Now we're making the axis of evil with the Quinella. We're adding Mexico to this. Don't Curtis. you realize we create the demand for all these drugs? Americans have an insatiable appetite to consume drugs. And it goes way back to the 60s. Richard oh, Nixon so declared war on drugs. Boy. You know, I don't care how they I don't care how they change. I don't care how conservative they are. The little lefty socialist comes out of them sooner or later, and here we are with the blame America first crowd again. Well, who's the biggest consumer of drugs in the world? Uh, United States. Okay, and uh, who has the money to buy the drugs? United States. That's right. It's supply and demand. Laissez-faire economics, right? University of Chicago, right? I mean, come on. The bottom line is the U.S. State Department put out an advisory about spring breakers traveling to Mexico, period, end of story. Yeah, how many of the the spring breakers are actually going to follow that? Come on, Bob. You know they know that species. They've been down there before. Come on, on, you guys. Thank you, gentlemen. You want to invade Mexico? No, it's just America saying Take the races. Highway down from hey, no, no, take remember, the racist remember, highways from L.A. down to Mexico and have. Remember yeah. the movie Canadian Bacon where we wanted to take it over with John Candy. Maybe we'll call this Mexico Churros. We'll invade Mexico. Mexico Churros, a new movie, huh? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Boston early Jan- It's Friday. We take liberties on Friday. We'll be back. Boston early's rush hour right after this. You see, you're going to take an hour from me, daylight savings time, right? Within like mm, 24 hours. But you're not going to take away the one hour that Avery is working on. The funniest hour in all of radio as he bisects and dissects the 20 hours of Blabavosio Verbosa that Frank Morano was responsible for. Uh, in uh, his other side of midnight, uh, his nationally syndicated show. We are not eliminating that, uh, Broadway Billy. You let management know that, on, uh, no, no, even though they're taking an hour away, because at 2 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, when I do this so nice, they let me do it twice, but 2 o'clock in the morning, it bumps up to 4. We lose an hour. They're taking an hour from me. So if you notice, I was bogarting the schedule all day Friday. I did an hour for Rudy, who was in travel. All of a sudden, James Golden, I got under his skin. He called me into the studio. So I got close to an hour and 10 more minutes to replace the hour they're taking away. Oh, no, this is important because every minute, every moment is important. Every hour is important. And my race to catch Sid Rosenberg in the mornings because it's all factored into the ratings. It's all factored into the curve. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got this. I got the analytics figured out. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And you see how that worked out, Broadway Bill Lee? 
Uh, I was getting everybody so angry with what I was saying that even even the very the very tacit, the very uh, sort of uh, what can we say, placid. I, mean, I don't even know that's the right word. Tacit, placid, whatever. Bob Brown, our senior news guy, jumped right in. Good morning, I'm Bob Brown. Ray- yeah, he jumped right in. Him and his old lady went from, hmm, Brownsville, not Brooklyn, never ran from the Ville, never will. We're talking Mike Tyson land there, Amboy Street. No, I'm not talking that Brownsville. I'm not talking where I lived for a while on Osborne and Hegeman. I'm talking Brownsville, Texas, carting across the border into Matamorosa. And he was saying him and his old lady didn't want to leave their car there. Didn't want to leave their car there. Would you leave your car in some parts of Philadelphia? No. Newark? No. Would you leave your car in some parts of the Bronx? No. Would you leave your car in some parts of Chicago? You'd be out of your mind. Detroit? Gary, Indiana? Hmm. East St. Louis, St. Louis, New Orleans? Let's run them all down. I mean, what is your chance of getting shot and killed by narco-terrorists driving to Mexico or shot and killed in a carjacking in any of these major cities that I mentioned. And I could add to that Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, San Diego, Phoenix, Denver, Houston, Dallas. And, of course, New Orleans, New Orleans. You know, every day is a Mardi Gras day. I know you would much prefer to be there, Broadway Bill Lee, than right here. As would Avery. He's working. He's working religiously now. He's. We're not going to take that hour away from you. We all know that they're, they're trying to cut me down. They're trying to truncate me. They're trying to shrink me. They're not going to be successful in that. They're just not going to be successful. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. And one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. So after I bogarted James Golden, then all of a sudden one of his callers is a real Weisenheimer trying to correct my timeline on Cheech and Chong. But uh, he needs to be stand corrected about what he said about that. He was talking about Cheech and Chong before. And that, uh-huh. that, that movie he was talking about is called Up in Smoke. Okay. You, you, you probably remember it. Well, he kept saying it was from 1970. It, well, add tack on eight years. It was released in 78 because I saw it. In a, in a movie theater in Boonton, New Jersey, when uh, when it was a, a new movie. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Were you smoking some reefer while you were watching it? Aha! Uh-huh. I think so. I think everybody hey, did. There we go. <laughs> oh, bust. And did uh, you back, inhale? Back then, back then, it was Mexican dirt weed with dead bugs in it and too many seeds and too many stems. <laughs> Boom. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. And All right, I'm well, we'll gonna... pass that along to him. He got the he got the year wrong, but he got the decade right. Thank you. Thank you, James Golden. Thank you for giving me tactical air support on that. What a Weisenheimer. So I was off. I had it the right decade, right? The 70s, correct, uh, Broadway Billy? I didn't have 78. I said 70. Oh, excuse me. And then what a wing dingle called up. He's talking about how in a few years... Mexico, the narco-terrorists are going to turn Mexico into Afghanistan and act like the Taliban. 
Hey, thanks for taking the call about the spring break in Mexico, what the conversation you were having before. I actually think that the next couple of years is the last chance for people to go to Mexico for spring break. Because I could see happening in Mexico what happened in Afghanistan when the Taliban took over. I think that the cartel, um, that organization and that gang is getting so powerful because of all the money they're making by bringing these kids and immigrants across, illegally smuggling them across the border and charging them all the money. They're, they're literally taking over the country of Mexico. I think it's just a couple of years until they'll, they'll be running the show and they're going to be governing in Mexico. And then it's going to be really dangerous to go there. And so this is the last chance that people have to go to Mexico for spring break or for any other time. This is guy out of his mind. I mean, all of a sudden, fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. All of a sudden, the narco-terrorists are going to decide we're not selling drugs anymore. We're going to be like the Taliban in Afghanistan. Hey, senoritas, hot tamales, you're going to be wearing burkas from the tip of your nose to the tip of your toes. What a maddening scenario. Notice, I got to take back that hour. So this is how I did it on Friday. I was on with Sid Rosenberg, 7.05, as I am every Monday, Friday, Wednesday, although sometimes he knocks me right out of the box. And he always hides behind John Katsimatidis. He always hides everybody saying, oh, well, John Katsimatidis is on. You don't want me to bump him, do you? Oh, you little dirtbag, you, Sid Rosenberg. So, I mean, I dropped verbal napalm on him Friday morning at 7.05. You know, he promises Disco Friday, right? This is what he does, Broadway Billy. And you know at WCBS-FM with Joe Causey, if you promise that Friday is Disco Friday, you better deliver. In fact, give me good times now. I want good times by Sheik because that's what I made Lou, his board operator, play. Good times, 1979 Sheik. I was on the D train with the Guardian Angels. It was the first time we were venturing out of the Bronx where I had started on February 13th of 1979. Simultaneously, that was the time that the cult classic uh, movie, The Warriors, came out. And I mean, even to this day, it's a cold classic. That was February 8th, Paramount Pictures. And then we strutted our stuff off that D train right into Stillwell Avenue, Coney Island, and we were flexing. And you should have seen it, Avery and Broadway, Billy. Everywhere we looked, there were the crazy homicides. That was the gang that dominated the boardwalk, dominated all the side streets. And we just had to start flexing. And there were no cops there from the 60th Precinct. They're in Coney Island, so we had to get busy. I'm not going to necessarily explain the tactics that we use to uh, clean out the crazy homicides. But let's just say we had to work. We had to go to work. And, oh, boy, did we work their medullas and their cerebellums. And slowly but surely, we cleaned them out near the Toronado, right? You know, that Toronado ride there? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's rocking the disco there. Everybody hanging, uh, oogling, uh, gaggling around there. We clean them out of there, the Toronado. And then all the bumper car rides, you know, they used to like to hang there. And then the cyclone. Oh, yeah. The roller coaster. Don't mess with us. We're flexing. And then the fireworks at night, right on the boardwalk. And this is before Superstorm Sandy. So underneath the boardwalk was all kinds of flotsam and jetsam. There were needles. There were condoms. And there were all kinds of men, women, frozen vegetables, non-binaries, transgenders, transvestites. 
Transformers under that boardwalk fornicating and copulating, and we had to say, stop, get the hell out of here. We're turning Coney Island into a family place where they can come and go swimming and enjoy themselves again. Oh, what a battle that was in 1979. But you can imagine, this is the kind of music that you have to play. Sid Rosenberg promised that there would be Disco Friday every Friday, and he reneged. That would be like you with Joe Causey, Broadway Billy, reneging on Disco Friday at WCBS-FM. Can't do that. And then, you know, the other thing he did, he started reading poetry from some schmuck, some putts in uh, South Dakota. What the hell is he doing? That's NPR stuff. That'll kill our audience. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chic. Good times. So good. So good. That was the top jam in the summer of 1979. And, you know, I don't understand all of this. Maybe somebody can explain this to me. They changed the lineup. They've taken hours away from me on Sunday. It's Laura Curran from 4 to 5, followed by Ernie Anastas and his partner, Mr. Sunshine. He's like Ernie Banks of the Chicago Cubs. He he knows nothing negative, Ernie. Right, Ernie Anastas? Everything's positive. We couldn't be any more opposite. And he's always coming in with these cockamamie colors on. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's colorblind, but that Ernie, you know... Colors don't mix. In the meantime, he said to me, and you're going to tell me soon you're going to be a 69-year-old guy running around with a red beret and a red sateen jacket, and you're going to criticize my type of accoutrements? Yeah. And then, hey, where's that gold brick, Andrew Giuliani? He's supposed to be starting Sunday at 3 o'clock. He's down in Mar-a-Lago. You know what he's doing? He's golfing with former president Donald Trump. He's hooking to the right four. He's slicing to the right four. And I mean, what the hell is he doing playing golf? He should have his butt in the studio Sundays from three to four. Man. Taking my hours. Daylight savings time. Where can I go kick daylight savings time ass and get that hour back, huh? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Work on your golf game, Andrew. Gold brick, you slacker, you deadbeat. That's what you call a golf bum, right? You ever see those duffers early in the morning? They got a cigarette in their mouth. They got a cup of coffee. They're waiting for the sun to come up. Four, four. They're taking mulligans. Yeah, get the... Get your ass in the studio. Start taking over your shift. On Sundays, it'll be Andrew Giuliani from 3 to 4, Maquana Mai, who knows when. Laura Curran, the former Democratic County Executive from Nassau. Man, uh, uh, she should still be the Nassau County Executive. You see that guy, Bruce Blakeman, he can't even chew gum and think at the same time. And now they've anointed his wife for judge. Is it a little bit of nepotism, huh? 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 And then Sunshine, Ernie Banks, a.k.a. Ernie Anastas. I never hear this guy say anything negative. Right? It could be raining outside. He's like Gene Kelly. Oh, I'm dancing in the rain. 
guy always has a smile on his face. I got a frown. I take that smile. I turn it upside down. He's got a smile. He's like smiling. We couldn't be any more opposite. Took that hour, man. I'll never forgive daylight savings time. It took that hour from me. See, well, maybe I, I, I complained to Chad Lopez, right? The Capo di Tutti, in charge of our parent company, Red Apple Media. He said, don't blame me, blame Daylight Savings Time. So I said, where can I, where can I confront Daylight Savings Time? Do you have a number that I can call up Daylight Savings Time and say, I want my hour back? But that isn't stopping Avery. Man, he's slicing and dicing the tape, the 20 hours of nonsense that was spewed by Frank Morano, the Mameluke. In the last week, in the worst side, or the best side, of the other side of midnight, right? Oh, man, the funniest hour in radio. They're not taking that hour away. No, 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 no. We'll be on four to five. They're not taking that hour for sure. Yeah, a bit of a riot going on. I'm telling you. You don't want to mess. You don't want to mess. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you know, I feel so angry here. It's almost like a takeoff of what I saw from Cardi B. You know, of all things, they brought Cardi B to the um, College Point NYPD Training Academy. It was the last act of the NYPD training chief, Juanita Holmes, who I've known for many years. I like her. I've seen her out there while the Guardian Angels were on patrol. I don't think she should have been the police commissioner, but then again, I wouldn't have picked uh, Keychant uh, Sewell either, who was head of the Nassau County Detectives, born in Queensbridge, but she's still living out in Nassau County and refuses to move into the city of New York, even though her contract says after six months, you're police commissioner, you must live in the five boroughs, and she says it's too unsafe. So if it's too unsafe for her, do you think it's too unsafe for the rest of us? But anyway, there was a cat fight between the police commissioner and the NYPD training chief, Juanita Holmes, because Juanita Holmes brought in who? Cardi B. Cardi B for Girls' Day at the police academy to talk to all the young female cadets, and they were going gaga-goo-goo, gaga-goo-goo. Can I work the pole? Can I be a stripper like you, Cardi B, and J-Lo were in that film? Could I pull out my 22 and put it in a John's mouth and say, your money or your life? And all of a sudden, the police commissioner, Seawell, said, ooh, hold off, girl. And then all of a sudden, I heard Cardi B complaining that she had to pay taxes. Cardi B, who makes millions, tens of millions now. She had to pay taxes. Now, all of a sudden, when you're down on your luck, you don't have two nickels to rub together. You're eating government brick cheese. You're online for powdered milk. Who do you think's paying for that, right? But then all of a sudden, when you're rolling in dough, all of a sudden you say, I don't want to pay for that. Listen to Cardi B. Run her mouth about paying taxes. So you know the government is taking 40% of my taxes and uncle sam i want to know what you're doing with tax money because you know what i'm saying like when you donate like when you donate to a kid from a foreign country they give you updates of what they're doing with your donation i want to know what you're doing with my 
tax money because I'm from New York and the streets is always dirty. We was voted the dirtiest city in America. What is y'all doing? There's still rats on the damn trains. I know y'all not spending it in no damn prison because y'all be giving two underwears, one jumpsuit for like five months. So what is y'all doing with my money? What is y'all doing with my money? I want to know. I want receipts. I want everything. I want to know what y'all doing with my What is y'all what a yenta. She wants receipts. Yeah, she wants receipts for everything spent. But she thinks it's like save the children, you know, where all of a sudden you adopt a child somewhere in Bolivia and they send you like a little portfolio about the kid every time you send in a donation. Oh, my God, what a bird brain. <sighs> By the way, uh, Mayor Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, had to get in between uh, his femme fatale, his uh, police commissioner, Sewell, and the former NYPD training chief, Juanita Holmes, because they were sparking off at one another. Because it was Juanita Holmes who brought in uh, Cardi B to speak with the women. But you see... Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. And by the way, he is at uh, wherever he's staying, uh, right across the street from the United Nations in that Trump Tower that's 90 stories. He's spending time in Johnny Petrosian's apartment. What the hell are you doing there when you should be a Gracie Mansion? But then again, I've been told, MYOB, mind your own business. And by the way, a little bit of an update. You remember, Avery, his brother Bernard Adams, younger brother, when last seen two years ago was parking cars in the parking lot of Virginia Commonwealth College. When all of a sudden Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, beat me in the mayoral election. And one of his first requests was that his younger brother Bernard stop parking cars at Virginia Commonwealth University and come up and head his security detail at $242,000 a year. Madonna my. And then all of a sudden, the Department of Investigation said, hold your horses here, Eric Adams. That is not only nepotism, but what the hell are you paying him $242,000 a year? Well, he's the deputy police commissioner. Oh, no, he's not. He's part of your intel. So finally, Eric Adams had to accept the fact that his younger brother, Bernard, was only going to make a dollar for the year. And you remember, you remember, You remember what he was assigned to do to prevent white supremacists from attacking Mayor Eric Adams? Oh, yes, because his complexion could not protect him against white supremacists, the Klan, and other whiteies who might come up and try to do harm to the mayor. So what did Bernard Adams' job consist of having to go to Bed Bath & Beyond at 59th Street, Columbus Circle, and make sure that none of those white supremacists was walking the aisles and taking advantage of the sales on white pillow sheets, white pillow sheets, white pillow covers, everything white. And yes, Broadway Billy, the other night he was sitting at one table conducting business with his uh, lovely wife, by the way, a very nice guy, Bernie Adams, Bernard Adams and his wife. And he confided to me that he's now living in Canarsie, right near Spring Creek, and he's got a rat problem. 
And I said to him, you know, rats are now carrying COVID-19, according to the Department of Health. You think your brother could actually scrape the barnacles off his backside, get his rear ring gear, stop looking to buy $5,000 customized suits, and find a rat saw to deal with this? And he said, between you and me. Everyone that knows me, they know one thing. I hate rats. Uh, Yeah, we know that. You haven't done Jack Diddley Squad anything about it, Eric Adams. We now see the report from the Department of Health that rats could be carrying coronavirus and its variant <clears throat> COVID-19. I hate Rats, 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 rats. I hate rats. I hate rats. I hate rats. I hate rats. Let me tell you how scared I am of rats. The rats may be listening. I'm terrified of rats. All of you are scared of rats, too. I had a real rat infestation. Rats are everywhere. We were feeding rats. Those rats use it as perfume. Trust me, you got rats. We were creating an environment where rats felt comfortable. See one scurrying down the block. We want to get rid of rats. We're going to kill rats. Kill some rats. Killing rats. Called me a murder because I was killing rats. Kill rats. And you see a rat and say, okay, you guys fail. The guy blackmailed me. He said, I know you're scared of rats. Rats do not run the city. Rats don't run our city. You can be the rats off. Fighting crime, fighting inequality, and fighting rats. Fighting rats. If you're not scared of rats, you are, you are really, you're my hero. I thought that was me, right? I'm not scared of rats. In fact, wasn't it interesting that his younger brother, Bernard, consulted me and said, what do I do? I got a rat problem here in Kanashi. I said, I bet you they're coming from Spring Creek, right? Because Spring Creek goes its way right into Jamaica Bay, right past the old dump. It's been renamed the Shirley Chisholm uh, sort of landmark, landfill site, state park. Notice, his brother comes to me to get advice on rat mitigation. Because I know how to deal with two-legged rats and four-legged rats. But I'll never forget his brother was talking to me on his cell phone after three days we labored away to clean up the patio of a building he owns on Lafayette Avenue in Bed-Stuy, do or die, which has the worst rat problem in the city. And we were ready to put in Batman and Robin, the two feral cats who were, like, ready to get down and dirty and deal with those rats, right? And what did the mayor say? He called me up and he told me, get off my effing property! Where's the rat saw, huh? Whatever happened to the rat saw? That's so typical. He's like Hamlet. You know, with the best intentions, with the best speeches. And then remember, the whole story of Hamlet, the Shakespearean production was, he never ended up doing anything. He did Ugats. He did Bupkis. Anyway, let's go to Jay, who's calling all the way from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Hey, Curtis, how are you? Not good, Jay, not good. No, I told I told your uh, uh, phone screener, I've been listening to you for years. I drive truck. I, I started driving truck in the 90s up in, up in the city. I moved down to Florida a few years ago. Always listen to you. And if they get rid of you, I'm going to delete the app off my phone. And I speak for my brother, too. He's another fan. He still works up in the city. He listens to you all day in the shop up there in Newark. And uh, he said, if they get rid of Curtis, that's it. We're done. Wherever you go, I'll follow. No, 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 Jay. Hold on. Explain this. Explain this. Before you get to the draconian situation of eliminating your app in your smartphone or iPhone, 
How is it you're in Florida, but your brother has stayed back in Newark? <laughs> I was smart enough to get out of Jersey. <laughs> he still he still lives up there. He's got one more. Uh, he's got his one son. Once he graduates, does his thing, you know, and and uh, you know, he's got the empty nest. He's gonna he's gonna can, uh, probably move down here. Um, but you know, he can't drag him out of school. You know. No, I understand. So, but but uh, yeah, he, does he live in the city of Newark or on the outskirts? Now, we we live in uh, we're we're from uh, South Jersey. And uh, we we commute. I used to commute up to the city every day and uh, deliver cars all over the city, all over the boroughs and all. And he does. Uh, he used to drive too, but now he works in a, uh, he works in the shop up there. But yeah, you know, he does that commute, the Parkway. He pays all those tolls, all those taxes. He's his bill. He pays about a thousand dollars a month just to get himself back and forth to work in that damn state. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's yeah. Out of his pocket, you can't deduct it. Um, it's, and, and, you know, that's not included if he gets a breakdown, the maintenance on his car and all that neat stuff. So, yeah, it, that, that state's robbing him blind. Well, I got to tell you, what an embarrassment for the largest city in New Jersey, Newark. The mayor who I hate, I loathe, I despise, Raz Baraka, had a meeting, <laughs> had a meeting with this uh, Swami guy, uh, who immediately said, hey, look, uh, I want to create uh, a working relationship with the city of Newark. I represent the United States of Kalisa, a Hindu nation. Now, Raj Baraka had one time had been principal of Central High School. He's an educated guy. So right. this guy, this Swami, went into City Hall, which, as you know, near Broad and Market Street, they got the gold leaf on top. I'm surprised people haven't been uh, repelling and trying to chip the gold leaf off there and take it to the local uh, chop shop. But anyway, so the Swami comes in, Weinstein and pocket lines Raj Baraka. They have this huge ceremony on the front steps of City Hall. They have now culturally bonded with a place that doesn't exist called the United States of Kalisa, he got bamboozled as if it was Borat. And there it is, Raj Baraka saying, like Alfred E. Newman, which way did he go? We got ripped off. Which way did we go? It's a fake nation, you schmuck. You got to tell your brother to get out of there. Get out of it now. Get out of it. Come on. Don't worry about it. Keep listening to WABC on your app, Jay. Get your brother out of there. Ras Baraka, the evil seed of Leroy Jones. Remember the poet who hated all white people, hated Jews, and went to war against my friend Tony Imperiali of the Northwood. Remember? 1-800-848-9222. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Pedro, Julio, come one, come all, illegal aliens. Come to Nueva York, where your Papa Chulo is Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Who's your daddy? It's Eric Adams, because guess what? With our sucker tax dollars, he's going to give you a college education. No, it's not a Manhattan Community College. It's not a Kingsborough. 
It's not a Bronx Community College, the old campus area of NYU. Remember, you had the walk of heroes there overlooking the Harlem River. No, 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 no. You got to head up. You got to take Route, what is that, Route 40, I think? Route 40, whatever. What the hell I'm thinking about that, Route right? 41. Anyway, you take the short line bus up to the Irish Alps, the Jewish Himalayas, the Catskills, Monticello, Sullivan County. There's no more room at the end. 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 Doesn't matter. You have entitled these illegals to a college education at our, the taxpayers' expense here in New York City with no help from Uncle Joe Biden. Nope. Not a penny from Giggles, <laughs> Vice President Harris. Not a nickel, dime, a penny from the schmuck, the putz, Chuck E. Cheese, Schumer, or from Hakeem Jeffries, Speaker of the House of Representatives. It's all on us. Because our plan is to take Jose and send him so he can earn a cap and gown at Sullivan Community College, not not far from the old Monticello racetrack, and know that he he will be... He will be living the American dream at our taxpayers' expense. We're going to move towards long-term housing and resettlement, including resettlement to pre-vetted uh, cities and municipalities that welcome asylum seekers. The hell are you talking about? I thought the inn was closed. Closed is closed. Now you come here illegally and you get a college education. You get it. There's no more room at the end. 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 No rats are. Mark one am I. The illegal comes here. The cops can't touch him. Can't say nothing to him. Even though he's driving a van, no papers, no license, no registration. He's got six 72-inch plasma TVs in the back that he just stole. But you can't ask him, where are you from? Nope. Can't ask him. And now we're going to give him a college education to boot up in Sullivan County. What the hell route is that again? I'm forgetting now. Man, he used to take the short line bus from the Port Authority up there to the Concord Hotel. Route 17. That's right. That's right. Oh, man. Thought I had a bit of dementia and Alzheimer's there. And then all of a sudden, graduating from Sullivan Community College on our dime, you can go play Simon Says, right? You can bust the tables. You can be a waiter. You can tell jokes at night and open mic. But where? Concord is closed. Browns is closed. Grossinger's is closed. All the hotels are closed. (sighs) Well, what the hell? You have an education at our expense, right? Our kids can't afford an education. But illegals will be paid to go to school. Let's have immediate translation services to assist that people can have access to the services that are already available. We have to expand uh, NYC care to make sure everyone has health care. We need to make sure we have proper translation services in our schools so that we can start building out the future as well. We are going to fulfill our moral and legal obligation to house everyone that enters uh, New York City. Uh, that is what we have done, and that is what we will continue to do. I thought the I thought the inn is closed. 
adore baby Jesus and Joseph the carpenter and our blessed Mother Mary, the Lady of Guadalupe. There's no room for them in the inn. This is just unfair for local governments to have to take on this national obligation. We've done our job. Uh, there's no more room at the end. Wait a second. If there's no more room at the end, why are you sending them off to college at taxpayers' expense? It's going to cost us $1.2 million. Oh, that's right. They can't read. They can't write. Doesn't matter. Maybe they should get a job first with Grubhub after they're here six months. You think maybe they should earn some pesos first before we start paying for a college education? We give them food that they don't want to eat. They say culturally, oh, we can't, our constitution can't actually digest it. So they toss it in the garbage. You go to their rooms in which we're paying upwards of $190 a night. Wow, my quantum eye. And they got Corona beer in there, Modelo, and you say, how the hell are you affording that? Where are you getting the money for that? And then they're smoking weed, and then you ask them, is it legal weed, illegal weed? It's none of your business. I don't have to answer your questions. Just give me a college education. They're worse than our kids and our grandchildren. All they do is expect, 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 expect. Anyway, let's go to Linda, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Linda. Good morning. God bless you, Curtis. Yes, Linda. I told you before, I've called a few times. Oh. I, I told you when I was um, younger, 16 years old, there's a picture of me, and I don't know if you ever read the book or saw the book back in the days by Jamal Shabazz. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm in that picture. I'm the one, the girl in the burgundy leather suit, and my boyfriend's in the black leather suit. Oh, I love so burgundy. Burgundy and gray. I love the combination. I used to go to A.J. Lester's in Harlem there, and I used to say, man, let me see if you got some burgundy and gray. Yeah, I used to go down to Delancey, get my sheepskin and my leather. Remember and then, wait, 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 and then it was Superfly there on Pickin Avenue in Brownsville, owned by World Be Free! <laughs> so I called to ask you about the um, the college, but you just you just spoke about it. Because I'm, I'm really shocked because all this money, cause I, like I told you, I'm a retired bus operator from East New York Depot. And I, I just, I've seen the difference, the trend, because I started in 1992 and I finished 2015. I've seen the transformation and it's crazy. Can you, can you, never... be- can you believe this, Linda? The mayor said the inn is closed. Closed means closed. And now he's shipping them up to Sullivan County, where he's going to give them a full ride, a full college education at our expense. It's unbelievable. And I and I tell everybody, I don't mean to brag or boast. I could have done other things because I graduated from Brooklyn Tech. But I drove the bus because it's a stressful job. I drove the bus because you make a lot of money. And, and God is good. And I tell you, God is good. My son graduated from Yale Law School at 25 years old. And he's 26 now. And he's a lawyer. Mm. Now, Linda, you you yourself, you went to uh, Brooklyn Tech in Fort Greene? Yes. Do you realize who else went to Brooklyn Tech in Fort Greene? Um, is it Sid? No, uh, owner-operator John Katsimatidis went to Brooklyn Tech. Anthony Weiner, who I will be doing a show with in just a few hours at 3 o'clock left and right versus right, he went to Brooklyn Tech. Man, you went, you must have been one of the first women that went there. No, I, I went in, no, I wasn't one of the first, but I, I was up there. But I went in um, from 1981 to 1985. Wow. 
There's, like, there's like 4,000 uh, young people there, right? Yeah, 5,000 student body. Wow, 5,000. That is a huge school. Yeah, well, you see how big that school is. Oh, I know, I know, but I never realized there were 5,000 young adults in there. What was the education like, Linda? It was like it was like college. I had to take every regions in the world. When I first walked in, I had to take the algebra region. Then by the time I got became a sophomore, I had to take the um, geometry, then trigonometry, physics, history, chemistry. It was and, and my first husband went there, Brooklyn Tech, and my my son he could he continued the legacy. He went to Brooklyn Tech, and then he went to ESF, which is the sister school to Syracuse, and then he went to Cornell, and then he went to Yale. Now, question uh, across the street from you, Fort Greene Park, from uh, Brooklyn Tech. Did you know what the Martyrs Monument was? Oh, I, I saw it. I don't know the name of it. I yes. said, right? See that? I, don't, I, I, don't you, I can't. I can't tell you, Linda. As bright as you are, as bright as young men and women and going to Brooklyn Tech were, uh, few, if any, knew what that martyr's monument was. It's right in Fort Greene Park. Yeah, I, I saw it, but yeah, you're right. We should know, right? I don't well, know. you know, I, I'll explain it to you and others. Uh, it was told to me by my father, Chester, a merchant seaman, fifty-four years. He said, uh, Curtis. Yeah. This was in honor of all the revolutionary patriots who were fighting the British because New York City was a British city. They were loyal to the Brits. And they brought in these old, uh, like, Spanish galleon ships that had been taken from Spain. And they had them right where the Brooklyn Navy Yard is. And they kept all the American colonial prisoners in there where they died of scurvy. They died of starvation. They died of disease and pestilence. Man, it was like oh, so horrible, and that's why they built that monument. That's that's called the Martyrs Monument, right across the street from the school that you went to, and so many others. Brooklyn Tech. Wow, thank you for the history lesson. I didn't know that. And, oh. and you know, you you remember Spike Lee? He had a store over there too. Yeah, yeah, forty acres in a mule, forty acres in a mule. Although Spike Lee didn't go to Brooklyn Tech. You know what he used to say? Rec Tech, Rec Tech. Why? You know why? A double standard. I went to Brooklyn Prep in Crown Heights with the Jesuits. But everybody in Brooklyn Tech, they got to to carry a compass, a sharpened compass, which was like a weapon. They got to carry a T-bar. They got to carry weapons that they said they were doing their, their, their well, well, what can we call it, uh, engineering uh, with bull feathers. Why did they get to carry weapons and we didn't? Rec Tech. Rec Tech. Rec Tech. You're going to learn a lot if you listen to Curtis. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Father of Soul, Soul Brother Number One, James Brown.
I'll get my revenge against daylight savings time. Hey, man, thing you got to see. Daylight savings time going to take an hour from me. From 2 in the morning. To 4 in the morning. That ain't right. I will get daylight savings time. If it's the last thing I do. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. any Neil Young. No, no. Let's do it. Turn it up. To the break of dawn. Oh, yeah. Nobody going to sleep. Death left. Hysteria. We rock the house here till the break of dawn. I am pissed off at daylight savings time. Taking an hour from me. That ain't right. So good. Don't go to sleep. Taking you to the break of dawn. My wars with daylight savings time taking an hour from me. How dare they? 
bad enough. You got Andrew Giuliani playing golf down in Mar-a-Lago with uh, former President Donald Trump slicing right, hooking right, basically scraping the barnacles off of his backside to play golf and not do radio on Sundays at 3. As you know, Broadway, Bill Lee, I did 38 hours straight one time. Man, that's a lot of talking. I got the lung capacity. I can do it. You want to play golf? Go play golf! Now we got Laura Curran, brand new on Sundays, 4 to 5. And Ernie Anastas, who's smiley, he's like Ernie Banks, the sunshine kid from the old Chicago Cubs, right? The guy never, never frowns. I always frown, he smiles. I always frown, he smiles. Ernie and his partner are on from 5 to 6 on Sundays. Then it's Jersey Joe Piscopo for two hours with a Frank Sinatra extravaganza. And they promoted the Prince of Staten Island, Vinnie Madugno, from uh, hmm, 8 to 9. And then I come back and do it all over again from 9 to 11 with the news of the day, the commentary and the calls from all of you, the interactive nature of what I do, which is not guests, but you, the callers. And then the most uh, called into, most interested uh, segment of the many that I do, the Animal Welfare Hour with my gorgeous wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer who is out there in the rain there taking care of those feral cats, making sure they stayed out of harm's way. And that's what we do 24-7-365. But I'm telling you, daylight savings time, I'm at war with you for taking an hour from me. You just don't do that without there being a struggle. Anyway, let's go to the phones, and it's EJ calling all the way from Syracuse. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, EJ. Hey, Curtis. Um, i got to run this by you. In Syracuse, the mayor has proposed an idea to pay gang members $200 a week to not use a gun. And this is a real thing. I read it in the paper, and he – granted, he said there's – they meet with counselors and whatnot. But, okay, who's going to monitor this? And you get paid to be in a gang? <laughs> I just wanted your thoughts on this. It's – I, it was a jaw dropper when no, no, I read no, it in the no, paper. EJ, you're absolutely right. You know, Syracuse has fallen on hard times. But uh, we've it's had ridiculous. Uh, yeah, no, I I know the mayor there too. His name is Walsh. Yeah, uh, he, he rode in on his father's uh, 
more conservative values and people thought they were getting that. Well, I I have to take some uh, responsibility for that, EJ. He took the Amtrak up to the old WABC to see me at that time. I was the chairman of the New York State Reform Party, and he could not get the Republican line, even though, as you mentioned, his father had been a big mocker in the Republican uh, Party, and I think his uncle had also his grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and s- now we've got this lunatic wanting to pay gangs. Oh, yeah. I'm I, I'm telling you, Jim, I have to give him a, a talking to. Uh, he also is the one who took down or wants to take down the Christopher Columbus statue. Yeah, 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 that also. Which is so magnificent. This is what I have suggested. I actually gave him a call. I said, look. If you're going to take down the Christopher Columbus statue and put it in mothballs and put it in a warehouse, give it to me and I'll get an 18-wheel tractor trailer. We'll put it on a flatbed. We'll bring it down to Staten Island, which is Staten, Italy. Per capita, per person, there are more Italians on Staten Island than anywhere in the country. And we'll put it right there on Highland Boulevard around at Mount Loretta. He said, I can't do that because it's subject to potentially a court challenge. I said, what happened to you? You're not the guy who first came up to me and sought the Reform Party line, which he won on. He won on the Reform Party line. Yeah. That statue was paid for by Italian immigrants. Yes. Proud Italian immigrants in the city who worked their whole lives, and they collected money amongst themselves and put that up. And they could put a monument to the indigenous people next to it. They could put... I mean, there's many solutions to this. You don't have to take down history. You know, it's it's part of history. Yes, and EJ, it's incredible. They're taking the interstate down there. They used to run right through Syracuse. Why are they doing that? I I don't know. I don't know why they don't just don't repair it because it's going to be a cluster. You know what? In the city, for how many years? When they're building this thing, that they're going to send the highway through a grid downtown. Oh, that's going to work great. It's really going to work great. Oh, my God. They're, just, uh, they're, they're, they're dissecting and bisecting it. The newspaper there, the Syracuse newspaper, no longer has a hard copy edition, right? Um, They do three times a week. Uh, uh, I, I mean, they're, they're hanging on barely. Yeah, yeah. But, and I must tell you, I spent some time in Syracuse in the bricks. You know, that's the public housing oh, yeah, project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a rough area. Yeah, well, it's right down. Uh, you go straight down from Syracuse University. Yep, right you, next to the university. Right, and, and you pass the hospital, which is right on yep, that, that yep, ledge yep. there. And then you hit the bricks, which oh, is, yeah, which, which is all, always been hardcore. I'll tell you what, this is what I'll do, which will scare the bejeebers out of Mayor Walsh there. I'll tell them, look... You're not the guy that I endorsed years ago that gave you an opportunity to become the mayor when your own Republican Party uh, had turned on you and wouldn't give you the line, and you had to depend on the Reform Party. And he ran a good race, and he he won. But I I must tell you, man, it's like it's not the same guy. I'm going to tell him, look, either you get your house in order, you start promoting law and order, stop paying these gangbangers to be in gangs. And how are you going to monitor it? Oh, uh, yes, of course. I didn't shoot anyone this week. Can I get my check? How, how, who's going to monitor this? Holy no, no, no. Insane. I'll tell you what. I'll tell him that I'm going to bring the guardian angels into uh, the bricks, and he's going to be uh, upset at that because then that makes it look like he's not doing the job, which he's not. 
So I'll tell you what, I'll put the pressure on him, EJ. I'll put the hey, pressure. I appreciate it. I would love to have the guardian angels back here just to get this place in order. Oh, yeah. No, no, I've been getting a lot of complaints of late of uh, residents living there as they're joining the exodus, leaving Syracuse. Heading... I would leave. I don't have enough money to leave. No, That's no. That's my problem. That's right. You I'm got a little. The, o- the only way we... The only way we change this, EJ, we got to improve not to move or all the thugs are going to take over. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I'll tell you what, EJ, I will deliver on that, okay? Hey, I appreciate it. I just wanted to run that by because it was insane to me. I still can't believe that people are not up in arms about this. They should be. You're paying $200 to a gangbanger to be a member of a gang. I could use $200. I work for myself. I don't hurt anyone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't, I don't want m- money from anyone. I work for myself. But to pay somebody who's a criminal to continue that lifestyle, just don't shoot anyone. How, how are they going to know? Oh, that's crazy. That, that's it. Oh, you're a Crip. You're a Blood. You're a Trinitario. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're oh, MS-13. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm a Crip. Can I get my check? Oh, my God. I got to deal with it's, this. Uh, Mayor Walsh, he's such a disappointment to me. I, I'm so sad. First, taking down the Christopher Columbus statue. That was bad enough. And now paying gangbangers. Please don't shoot anybody. We'll give you $200 a week. What the hell is that? Oh, God, EJ. I'll take care of that. And you know what I need? I need a little Post Malone. Look for Post Malone in the interim as I go through the rest of the calls. Because, you know, Post Malone comes from Syracuse. Oh, yeah, he's got a million dollars worth of bling-bling in his mouth. You know, also comes from uh, uh, Syracuse, Tom Cruise. You know, a Maverick is up for an Academy Award Sunday, right? Uh, the, the, the movie that actually brought people back into the theaters pumped him up with patriotic pride. Oh, Let's go to Mike in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yes, hello, Mike. What happened to Mike? Oh, my God. Mike is gone. Let's go to Hannah in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Hannah. Hi, Curtis. This is Hannah. I called you at the Admiral Hour. One time I told you um, Nancy should run for mayor. Remember? Uh, Say that again, Hannah. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Now I can, loud and clear. Okay. Um, I called you at the animal hour. I said Nancy should be running as a mayor. Remember? That's right. I remember that, Hannah. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Curtis. I have a problem. I have a big problem. What's that? I need the guardian angel to help me. Maybe you could help me. I live in the Bronx, and um, my neighbor is basically trying to get rid of my cat. I, I told you, right? I have 12 cats that I rescued and two dogs that I rescued. And basically, she's claiming that my apartment smells. My apartment doesn't smell. Even the building agent came, and they saw that I have no problem. Oh no! Kill my cat. They're trying to get and rid of you. They're trying to get rid of your cat. Yeah, my cats. Oh, how many so, cats do you have, Hannah? I have twelve cats and two dogs. Wow, twelve cats yeah. and two dogs. And are yeah, you? But I have, but, no, no. But I have. I have space. I have two bedrooms. And I keep one bedroom for my cat. And basically, it started off, she's saying that I, you know, she, she lives on the top floor, on the fifth floor. I live on the fourth floor. And she's saying that I smoke cigarettes too much. 
but that's not true. But what happened was one day, like, it just been going on for five months. So she banging on my door, and what happened was um, the week before, uh, on February 14th, on Valentine's Day, I had a mini stroke because she basically drove me to, to the kazoo, you know? My blood pressure was so high, I was taken from the Bronx to New York Presbyterian Emergency Room because she got me into almost a, a, a stroke. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Hannah, this is what I'll do. Uh, if we can, uh, Avery, if you can get information from Hannah, and I'll try to get the guardian angels to deal with this problem. It's a little complicated, uh, but it's not beyond our ability to deal with it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to see the naked city. I'm Bert Leonard, the producer. As you see, we're flying over an island, a city, a particular city. And this is a story of a number of people and a story also of the city itself. It was not photographed in a studio. Quite the contrary. The actors played out their roles in the streets and in the apartment houses of New York, on the docks in the East River, and in Pennsylvania Station. In the naked city, death is the necessary outcome of life. Everyone owes an unavoidable debt to nature and must expect to pay the reckoning sooner or later. But to become the instrument of another man's death, to hasten another's payment, is to any sober thinking person an act of shocking responsibility. It can haunt your conscience forever, torment a man beyond all reason, even when the cause is just, even when there is no choice. There are eight million stories in The Naked City. This has been one of them. Well, we're not naked here, but that was a great TV program. The Naked City, black and white, gave you the gritty feel for the urban sphere that we live in. And there was one such movie that captivated uh, America, done in 1954. And I must play you some of the scenes from it because there's an attempt in the United States Supreme Court by half in the bag Murphy, who's always smashed. Thank God he's term limited. His uh, calling card is, oh, I'm a graduate of Goldmine Sachs. What? Like, uh, Corz- like Corzine was? Like Steve Phillips, the mayor of Jersey City, friend of Noam Laden, as they live up there in the Heights with the rest of the hipsters and millennials, huh? Thinks he's going to become governor, next governor of New Jersey over my dead body, Phillips. It's going to be Citarelli. He barely lost to Murphy this last time, and he'll win the next time. But the state of New Jersey has gone to the United States Supreme Court to say that there should no longer be a waterfront commission. They believe that in the port of Newark and Elizabeth, which has about 4,000 workers, 
that through the New Jersey State Police, they can monitor any organized crime activity. I, I disagree with them intensely. And I think you have to leave the Waterfront Commission in place. In fact, the Waterfront Commission came about in many instances as a result of really the uh, movement. They got an extra push when On the Waterfront came out in 1954. The director, Eli Kazan, and by the way, very controversial because Eli Kazan had testified against communists he thought were in the movie business, which caused a lot of people working great duress. So he came back and he created On the Waterfront, starring uh, Carl Malden as the priest, Marlon Brando, as Tommy Malloy, Lee J. Cobb, great job, Lee J. Cobb as the uh, union leader, and Rod Steiger as the uh, brother of Marlon Brando, and Eva Marie saying it was her very first film. And uh, there were many, many Academy Awards. In fact, Leonard Bernstein uh, created the musical score. And the film focused on union violence and corruption amongst longshoremen, while detailing widespread corruption, extortion, and racketeering on the waterfronts of Hoboken, New Jersey. And you know, Brando was not going to originally star as Terry Malloy, the person who desperately wanted that, uh, that role was Frank Sinatra. And in fact, they had already called Frank Sinatra in for wardrobe, so they were already fitting him so that he would become Terry Malloy, and then they had second thoughts, and they did a recall, and they had Marlon Brando come in, who was uh, already uh, practicing his uh, various uh, acting abilities in a very, well, in a way that created uh, a whole new genre of how to train actors and actresses for these kind of roles. But there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, overview in terms of what on the waterfront was. Originally, it was meant to show communist infiltration of the unions, but that was uh, parlayed to the side, and in fact, it led to the formation of the Waterfront Crime Commission to try to oust organized crime and the thuggery that oftentimes was involved in the ILGWU, International Longshoremen's Union, which was uh, based in uh, Bayonne, New Jersey. So in this scene, you have the priest who is trying to rally up the union guys to fight their crooked union leader, Lee J. Cobb, who is in charge of the docks, uh, and Carl Malden did an outstanding job, but even the thugs turned on Carl Malden wearing his collar, wearing his priest garb. It didn't matter to them. They were out to, to make sure that they controlled the waterfront in Hoboken. And every time the mob puts the crusher on a good man, tries to stop him from doing his duty as a citizen, it's a crucifixion. And anybody who sits around and lets it happen keep silent about something he knows has happened shares the guilt of it just as much as the roman soldier who pierced the flesh of our lord to see if he did go back to your church father boys this is my church and if you don't think christ is down here on the waterfront you've got another guest coming 
Get off the dock, fella! Tilio, don't do that. Who said you on, boy? Let him finish. Every morning, when the hiring boss blows his whistle, Jesus stands alongside you in the shape-up. He sees why some of you get picked and some of you get passed over. He sees the family men worrying about getting the rent and getting food in the house for the wife and the kids. He sees you selling your souls to the mob for a day's pay. The next bum that throws something deals with me. I don't care if he's twice my size. Now, what does Christ think of the easy money boys who do none of the work and take all of the gravy? And how does he feel about the fellows who wear $150 suits and diamond rings on your union dues and your kickback money? And how does he, who spoke up without fear against every evil, feel about your silence? Tell him about that. Just watch this. You want to know what's wrong with our waterfront? It's the love of a lousy buck. It's making love of a buck, the cushy job, more important than the love of man. It's forgetting that every fella down here is your brother in Christ. But remember, Christ is always with you. Christ is in the shape up, he's in the hatch, he's in the unit. He's kneeling right here beside Dugan. And he's staying with all of you. If you do it to the least of mine, you do it to me. What they did to Joey and what they did to Dugan, they're doing to you. And you, you, all of you. And only you, only you, with God's help, have the power to knock them out for good. So that was very compelling by Carl Malden. In fact, uh, Marlon Brando had pioneered in the Stanislavski-based approach in cinema. They'd actually brought in, uh, in order to rehearse the role of Marlon Brando and Eva Marie Saint, Paul Newman and his wife Joan Woodward. So they were practicing the role of Terry and Edie. Frank Sinatra so desperately wanted to be Terry Malloy. And uh, a furious Sinatra demanded to be cast in the role then of Father Barry, the waterfront priest, and not Carl Malden. And then the producers had to break the news to Sinatra that Malden had been signed on for this role. So you see, Sinatra was all over this movie. It was in his hometown of Hoboken, filmed over 36 days on location in various places. In fact, uh, it included the docks, which at that time had not uh, sort of been uh, faltering. The workers' slum dwellings, the bars, the litter alleys, and the rooftops, the church used for the outside scenes was the historic Our Lady of Grace, built in 1874, while the interiors were shot at the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul at 400 Hudson Street. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then towards the end of the movie, this is where Terry Malone has decided that he is going to fight the union leader, Johnny Friendly, in court. And he went to uh, testify, and he gave damning testimony to the Waterfront Commission. And Friendly was immediately cut off from his powerful friends while facing indictment. 
But to add insult to injury, Marlon Brando went down to shape up for work and to rub it right in the face of Johnny Friendly amongst his other fellow workers so that uh, they could finally be free of this union oppression that had stifled the members of the ILGWU, the International Longshoremen's uh, Union. Hey, Friendly! John Friendly, come out of there! Friendly! Come on out of there! You want another trouble with you? You think it makes you a big man if you give the answers? Well, at the right time, I'll catch up with you. Be thinking about that. Now go on, beat it. Don't push your luck. Wait a minute, you! You take them heaters away from you and you're nothing, you know that? You talk yourself in the river. You take the good goods away and the kickbacks and a shakedown cabbage and a pistol arrows and you're nothing. Your guts is all in your wallet and your trigger finger, you know that? You ratted on us, Terry. From where you stand, maybe, but I'm standing over here now. I was ratting on myself all them years. I didn't even know it. Come on. You give it to Joey, you give it to Dugan, you give it to Charlie. It was one of your own. You think you're God Almighty, but you know what you are? Come on. You're a cheap. Lousy, dirty, stinking mug. And I'm glad what I've done to you. You hear that? I'm glad what I've done. And I'm gonna keep on doing it till I get Come on! Come on! That's a great scene. Absolutely great scene. And it's amazing because Marlon Brando initially refused the role of Terry Malloy. Frank Sinatra, he was all over it. He so desperately wanted that role. Imagine they're fitting Frank Sinatra up with wardrobe, and they went back to or, and then uh, hired Brando. And Brando put in the performance of his life. In fact, many uh, said that uh, with all the great performances he had done, it was without a doubt his greatest performance. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. But you got to understand that uh, it's a serious effort to disband the very waterfront commission that was put into place because of what was happening at that time in nineteen fifty four. All the union violence, the corruption amongst the longshoremen, while detailing the widespread. Uh, the widespread finagling of the union. And it was all coming out of the uh, Bayonne local of the uh, International uh, Longshoremen's Union. In fact, I remember my father, when he would come to port, whether the Port of Brooklyn or he would go through the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Cull, and uh, the ship would come to berth in the uh, tank farms in Staten Island. That's when he was on the Gulf Deer, and they were bringing in uh, supplies of oil, gasoline, home heating fuel oil at time. Sometimes he, uh, in order to make more money, he'd be uh, taking uh, the ride on a chemical ship, which was extraordinarily dangerous, or a sulfur ship, and other times a cargo ship. Uh, I remember the times that my mother would take me down to the dock in Brooklyn, right near Red Hook, when the uh, Horace... uh, Lukenbacker would come in. My dad was a bosun, and he would introduce me to the longshoremen, many of them that lived in that immediate area of uh, Carroll Gardens, 
down on near President Street, lived near Red Hook, and they would have to shape up every day in order to get work. And oftentimes they would go out on strike. And the call was, uh, remember, and nobody crossed the picket line at that time. You crossed the picket line, you were taking your life in your hands because the owners and operators of the shipping lines, they had their thugs. And the union guys, they had their thugs. So sometimes uh, they'd have the hooks. And they go to war right on the uh, right on the picket line. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Post Malone from Syracuse with a million dollars of bling embedded in his teeth. Got to walk around with security, packing. Guys want to jimmy those uh, those jewels right out of his teeth. Oh, yeah. They come prepared. Anyway, let's get to the phones as the United States Supreme Court is hearing a case where Jersey... Through their half in the bag, always smash Governor Murphy. Wants to extricate themselves from the Waterfront Commission. And basically turn over those responsibilities to the New Jersey State Police. And I believe that would be a disaster. That would be an opening for organized crime. The Genovese crime family, which has controlled the docks for many years. Some of you out there may have remembered from local 1588 in Bayonne. 1588, John DeGilio, the president, it found him in the Hackensack River with two shots in the back of his head. Then there was Rishi, also of uh, 1588. It found him in the trunk of the car with two shots to the back of his head. As the Genovese had a war over who was going to control that Bayonne local. I remember a time when... Uh, it was uh, Congressman uh, Menendez, Bobby Menendez, that crook. And then it was uh, Congressman Donald Payne of Newark, that crook. And the crook of all crooks, uh, Jimmy McGreedy, I call him McGreedy because he was, the governor who claimed he had to resign because he was a gay man. No, he had to resign because he was corrupt, so corrupt that if he had died in office, they would have had to uh, find a way to close the casket in fact, bringing them to the cemetery would have required them drilling him into the uh, cemetery ground with a blackened deck of power drill. <laughs> so they were in Puerto Rico at the annual convention of 11, excuse me, of 1588, the uh, Bayonne local for the International Longshoremen's Union, when the president came out and said, uh, Congressman, Governor, uh, we're going to have to leave. We're under indictment. Uh, it's just been unsealed in Newark Federal Court. This is in the middle of a convention. Corrupt. 
You need the Waterfront Commission. Let's go to Jeff, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Hey, Curtis, great show. Hey, I love that you're paying homage to the great movie On the Waterfront. But I just wanted to tell you there's a song called John Friendly by an English group uh, named Joe Boxer. And it tells the story of, uh, you know, Terry Malloy and uh, John Friendly. It's a great song. That's the name of the song, John Friendly. And uh, what's the name of the group, the English group? Joe Boxer. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Oh, you're going to love this song. It's a great song. Yeah, great movie, great theme, perfect timing, 1954, when the mob really did run uh, the waterfront. Every piece, uh, every banana that came in, every cherry, every watermelon, whatever came into the port of uh, New Jersey, New York, the mob had its uh, beak in the trough. Yeah, and that's how uh, that gangster uh, Gaspipe Castle, his father worked on the dock, and that's where he got his start. Yeah, Anthony Gaspipe Queso, uh Lucchese guy, uh, actually lived over there in Marine Park for a while. He had uh, the most garish uh, house you could imagine. It looked like the side of an ocean liner. <laughs> uh, he had it uh, commissioned uh, to spec. And then the irony is when he went away to jail, because he was on the lam for a while in Pennsylvania, yeah, right. In fact, Patty Tester was running messages back and forth for him while he was uh, hiding out. I think uh, up there near the Poconos. Uh, yeah, but, I think I think it was in Jersey when they found in a house in Jersey. I forget the town. Right, Bud Lake. Maybe maybe it was Bud Lake or something like that. Yep, but uh, it was uh, a time in which the old murder incorporated uh, Albert Anastasia. Uh, he was controlling the docks with his brother. And, uh, boy, you could not step out of line. You could not beef uh, at a union meeting. You could not question a delegate. Yeah, you did not uh, question the assembled uh, uh, persons who were responsible to invest your pension because they were really bilking the pension. And you had no no say over that whatsoever. Yeah, but what a great movie. John Friendly, you got to check out that song by Joe Box. No, no, I definitely will. And remember... They're trying to disband the Waterfront Commission that has uh, neutered the mob in terms of its influence on the waterfront. Remember, 90% of the traffic now goes to the port of Newark and uh, Elizabeth. It is the busiest port now in the United States in terms of cargo that comes in and gets discharged. Let's go to Gordon in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Gordon? Yes, a great show, Curtis. Just want to make three very brief comments about a great movie uh, on the waterfront. First of all, I just don't see Frank Sinatra as a boxer, but uh, that's a matter of uh, everybody, anybody's opinion. Uh, secondly, uh, I hope that getting the Oscar for On the Waterfront made up to Marlon Brando a little bit for not getting it for A Streetcar Named Desire. And my last comment is, On the Waterfront is one movie that should never be colorized. Leave it in black and white. It's perfect the way it was, the way it is. No, you're absolutely right. It has that gritty look. You look at the harbor. You see the Hoboken docks. 
I remember seeing the Hoboken Docks when they were a wharf and they were just a mess. Jersey City and Hoboken, you saw the rats, you saw the the debris. And then uh, uh, actually uh, it really started to come together when uh, Crooked Hudson County uh, had to get straightened out because it was such a Democratic enclave, the crookedest Democratic county in America, even more crooked than Crook County in Illinois. And then there was the uh, Brett Chandler came in, a Republican. He was running in a, a general election with about 12 other Democrats. They split the vote. Brett Chandler came in and the rebirth, the redevelopment, the resurrection of Jersey City and the waterfront really started to take shape. Let's go to George, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, George. Hi, Curtis. It's George from the courts. I'll be real quick. I'm going to tell you a story about Greeks gambling and gangsters 45 years ago. When I lived in Brooklyn, you know, I was a Greek-American. I went to college. You can't tell. I still think irregardless is a real word. But anyway, my, one of my distant cousins owned like a diner luncheonette on Flatlands Avenue. I don't really remember where it was anymore. He said, do me a favor, come down. My grill man in the morning, he's very valuable. As you know, in the restaurants, the grill man in the morning shift, he gets all the breakfast out. It's important to have one. He's in debt to the gangsters, and I'm going to give you about $1,800, and you can go with him and pay him off. So I go down to the diner. <clears throat> I have a good breakfast. The, the hash browns were great if it's making anybody hungry in the morning time to go to a diner. <laughs> so the guy comes out. And he and we go. It's eleven to thirty, twelve o'clock. Breakfast shift is um, over, and he go and he has the you know like a lot of the Greeks. We're good people. We work hard, but a lot of us like to gamble. Not me. Only the Chinese have surpassed us now. But in any event, he says go down to this place on Flatlands in Troy. All right. So I go down there. It's the Gemini Lounge. So I go in there with him. I don't know anything really about it. I learned years later, of course. I go in, it's around 12 o'clock. There's a bunch of guys standing around. I didn't know anybody famous or the bad guys there. And the bartender was a lady. It was an indescript bar, but I could tell by the people in there. They weren't the 12 o'clock crowd of working guys and um, mailmen that are eating. They're, you know, you could tell they were tough guys. So he points to the guy he owns the money to. I go sit down next to him. And he says to him, he goes, who are you? I go, this is my cousin, which he wasn't. And he wants to pay you up for the money he owns. It's Saturday. I think the VIG used to end on Fridays in those days. I don't know. So he goes, how much does he owe you? He tells me a figure. I don't remember exactly. You know, seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars $1,800. I give him the money. He was a big, tough-looking guy. A Jewish guy was wearing a Star of David. He may have been left over from, uh, you know, the, the killers, the Jewish killers from uh, Murder Incorporated. But who knows? So then I go, I give him the money, and then I go, could you please do the family a favor? I go, don't take any more of his bets and don't loan him any money. And then his, like, demeanor changed. Now, in those days, I carried a uh, occult detective special six shot. I couldn't shoot for anything anyway. And I could tell there was no way I could use it to shoot myself out of that place. I was really upset that my cousin would send me there. And... I wasn't going to, you know, use it anyway, but that's beside the point. And he yells out, hey, this kid over here says, telling me how to do my business. So I go, I better change the subject. <laughs> I go, you know that diner, you know that diner you go to? He goes, yeah, they have very good breakfast. It's on Flatlands Avenue. I don't remember it anymore. It may still be there. It was when you were a kid, probably. 
It was a diner luncheonette. A lot of the was that the uh, Arch on uh, Flatlands and Ralph Avenue? I think that may have been it, but I don't remember, really. I don't even know if it's still in business. But anyway, a lot of people used to go in there for breakfast. So I go, hey, by the way, he works in the diner, doesn't he? He's the grill man. He makes breakfast. He goes, oh, yeah, they have very good breakfast there. I go, want the hash browns great? He goes, yeah, they're my favorite. And I go, well, listen, if you start, if you beat him, don't loan him any more money. If you want, and I figure I better change the story. If you want to take his bets, fine. But don't loan him money, please. Because if you beat him, you won't get a good breakfast anymore. So the guy starts laughing. He sees I'm a character. And, you know, because I was getting a little bit nervous. He said, and he goes, by the way, what do you do? So (laughs) I'm not going to tell him I worked in the club. I was a young court officer. I go, "Uh, I'm going to college. And he goes, oh, what are you majoring in? I go, criminal justice. He started laughing. So he goes, you should go to law school. Mm. So that's 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 my story. And uh, it was just a regular place in those days. And I just wanted to tell you one other thing. If, you, if you're going to be going to the baseball games in Staten Island, yes, I think I may have told you, there was a famous place in Coney Island. I saw John knows. It was called Phillips Candy on the bottom of the Stillwell Avenue train station. The same people have owned it for 75 years. When they moved from, uh, I'm not trying to give them a, a shout out for business, but they do it for the love of the, they make the original candies from Coney Island and all of that. There's some, I don't have the address. There's somewhere in Staten Island. The same family owns it, and you may want to take your, your son over there to have original. You know, you're a historic historian about New York City. Sure. You may want to take your son over there. Look it up in, your, in the email, in your uh, Google. It's on Staten Island, and it's, um, a, very, it's a, a New York tradition. Maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, you could take uh, your son over. Oh, most, John most, most definitely. Now, now, George, one last question. Uh, so you went and you paid the VIG. Right. And but, guy, oh, the, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. The last part of it is, he kept them, you know, you're talking about the cheap politicians that don't keep to your word. Yes. You can say whatever you want about the gangsters. They're no good. You know my feeling about them. But the guy kept his word. Hmm. So the gangsters keep their word sometimes more than the uh, politicians. Now, did uh, did your relative uh, continue to get into gambling problems, gambling jams? <laughs> you want to hear the end of the whole story? Sure. You know, I'm like the family consigliere. They're all dead now. Years later, I don't know, I don't really know, but he must have saved his own money, and he buys himself a luncheonette. This is what a genius he was. He buys himself a luncheonette in the five towns. In those days, the five towns were like 99% Jewish. So he calls me up crying, I'm going to go broke. And he stopped gambling, I guess. He had the money to buy the diner. Mm. Uh, and he calls me up and he goes, you know, I'm, dis- I'm ruined, I'm ruined. I go, what's wrong? He goes, I had a grand opening. I was giving away a free appetizer. And no one came. I go, when was the grand opening? When do you think this knucklehead had the grand opening in a Jewish neighborhood? On the young Kipper. So this guy was one of the bright people in our family. I think he may have passed after all these years. And about, and about gambling, you want to hear about all those, all those places on Steinway Street? Yeah. I shouldn't, I'm not going to say it. They call them the club from different villages in Greece. They're nothing more than gambling houses. Mm. That's all they are. Mm. And the mob used to you know, come in and hit up the Greeks who owned them. The Greeks had to pay. But whatever. It's just a crazy world. And I don't think you can ever really stop gambling. And uh, can I say one last thing? Of course. If John Casamitis listens in the morning, if he ever builds another building in 
in um, Coney Island. They're talking about a casino, calling it the Coney. You know the history of that because Coney Island was founded because of all they call that because of all the rabbits. They really should. He should call his new building if he builds one or any casino the Steeple Casino or the Steeple Building after the Steeplechase because that was one of the most iconic places there. I don't know if you were old enough to remember it. My grandfather used to sell candy in there. A lot of Greeks were in the candy business. And do you think they're going to open up a casino in Coney Island? I don't know if it's a pro. If the transportation there and the well, it's the uh, you know a lot of it is influencing lobbying. You got now nine bids. Uh, you got a bid in Coney Island. You got Steve Cohen, the bid uh, by City Field, the owner of the Mets. You've got a group that wants to put a. Uh, a uh, very upscale casino on the top of Saks Fifth Avenue across from uh, Rockefeller Center. You have the bid uh, in Times Square, which is S.L. Green, uh, who's Mark Green's brother, who owns most of the real estate in Midtown. You got a bid uh, over near the Hudson Yards, that's uh, Ross. Uh, right. You got another bid over by uh, um, the United Nations, south of the United Nations on First Avenue. They have that old Con Edison site that became a Browning Field. Right. And uh, I think that pretty much uh, covers yeah. Oh, yeah. And the most recent one was to put a casino where the uh, Trump golf course is in Throgsnick. That'll never go. But the place, you know, I think I may have told you. I, I like video poker. I don't really gamble. I, I have some disabilities, but I like to go with the machines. I drive all the way in to Queens to, at Aqueduct. That guy runs a very good place there. Plus, the hotel next to it, the Hyatt, yes. is like a wonderful place to stay if you have an early morning flight. It's not cheap, but he runs. The, the bathrooms are clean. He runs a very good place. I, I don't know. I'm not looking to give a shout-out to anybody. But if you know a guy who really runs a clean place, and I know they give a lot of money to New York, He'd be the guy to give it to. Yeah, well, that's the the Malaysian firm. That's the Genting firm that uh, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I brought in when the original uh, concept proposed by AEG went bust because David Patterson, the governor, had his beak in the trough. With Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan now, but head of the uh, gaming committee of the state senate. You had Malcolm Smith, you had John Sampson, you had the former congressman Floyd Flake. All of them looking to get wine, dined, and pocket lined by AEG. They should have all went to jail for the corruption that was involved in that bid. And then they all went their separate ways, and Andrew Giuliani brought in Genting, and now you know the rest of the story.